this week on Invasion of the Podcast. Wait, there's a Disney Plus Plus? We talk about a comic book movie without actually having read the comic previously. What have we done? <laughs> and are these TV shows coming back from the dead or not? Paul tries to figure it out. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the of tension. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. My name is Paul, and somewhere out there is uh, a figure old as time and has been righting wrongs and working in the shadows. If by writing wrongs, you mean uh, just letting my hair grow long, so I'm still refusing to get a haircut and uh, my waistline ever expanding, that would be me. So, hello, everyone. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we all help we all help uh, the world in our own ways. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, we're going to be talking about, and I didn't say it specifically in the beginning of the episode, um, before we got to the, the intro, blah, 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 blah. Uh, we're going to talk about the Netflix film, The Old Guard. It's been out for about a month. It's the Charlie Theron uh, action movie based upon the Greg Rucka uh, graphic novel, or I should say a series of comics, um, that we had not actually read the comics. So, instead of the usual thing where we overthink like a movie and ask how it stood up against the comic, we're going to kind of look at the movie without much, not much knowledge of the book and see how we feel about it. Uh, we had teased um, when we took our hiatus, and I'll talk more about that in a second, um, that we were going to be watching a, um, a really, really low budget, and by low budget I mean hundreds of dollars film called Bad Ben um, that we've joked about forever seeing on Amazon Prime, and we could tell this was definitely the shot in the guy's house. He was doing like a paranormal activity thing. It is no longer like on free with Prime. You have to pay for it. And something about that $3 barrier just pissed me off. And I'm like, I'm not doing this. And I don't know why. Like the guy could use a $3 more than my Netflix subscription that paid Charlie Theron. But I was upset about this. And I was like, nope, I don't want to watch it now. Something tells me that even if it was free, we'd be paying for it. Oh, yeah, that's fair. No, like when I went to look it up, he has <laughs> he has seven films out and then a like making of documentary. And it's like, he looks at the little, the little preview. It was like, Oh, for the fan favorite or whatever, like for the, the films made for only a couple hundred dollars. It's like, you know, um, I'm good. And then he also has an episode of an animated series. He's trying to put out there about the main character being a paranormal investigator. So you know how like someone gets like one good idea or they believe it's a good idea. And then that's what they're going to do. I think that it's this guy. So more power to him. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to wade in those waters at any point in time. Uh, if, if it ever shows up as quote unquote free again, maybe. But I was like, you know, how about we go from a couple hundred dollars to, you know, the double digit million dollar budget for a choice there on action flick? How about that? That seems kind of the exact opposite. Yeah, I don't know that you could have picked anything further apart from bad men. And I'm not complaining, mind you. Um, <laughs> But I, I think that uh, you did protest, uh, yeah. though. You're like, I already bought the T-shirt. I'm like, we're not going to do it this week. You know? <laughs> well, I was I was just going to leave uh, the whole thing about, uh, you know, having one idea and then sticking to it. 
Uh, <laughs> Sorry, the, I didn't. <laughs> whatever. Lay what, off to the side. But. <laughs> what, what, whatever do you mean by that, Steve? No, no. Like you, you, you you're working I'm on a comic. Kidding, you have right? other comics. You do other things. You know. Um, it isn't like you're like, hey guys, uh, you know, here's my uh, my seventh series of the slasher, and then also my. Be- I, I mean, it, it, you know, it's good work God, if you can God get it. Help me if I get that far. Yeah. But. Right. So. Yeah. So anyway, so, and also like what the cost of your book is just a little more than bad Ben. And I think it's a better quality. I think it's worth the investment. So everybody should check that out. Um, yeah, we, uh, we were off for a week. Uh, cause I, I cried off because I didn't want to do triple duty on podcasts. Cause I'm just one man and I, I like video games and beer too much to, to really buckle down and do anything with my life. Um, so last week I was on, uh, El Goro's talk without rhythm podcast. You guys have heard him before on here when most recently talking about the iron giant, uh, we were on there. Uh, he and I discussed, uh, two Peter Jackson films, meet the feebles and, uh, the frighteners. So I meant to link it in the week in between, uh, for us. And then again, I just was lazy and I failed at what I did. So, but if you guys want to listen to that, it's, uh, I, I think we had a wonderful conversation. The language gets a little more blue there because of the subject matter in regards to Meet the Feebles being a rated R, hard R uh, puppet movie. Um, but yeah, it was fun. And I'm glad Steve gave me a week to kind of, you know, prepare for that. And then, and then we can come back to this. Yeah, I uh, I listened to the show. I thought you uh, did quite well on, on uh, uh, not only just on the show itself, one that you're not leading as its uh, host, but uh, also one where the subject matter is really, really tough to tackle. I think uh, I've never seen meet the feebles, but listening to your discussion and, and knowing what I knew about the film going in, I, I, you, you guys had your work cut out for you. We'll put it that way. Well, and it's just, it's funny and not to go too much on about that. Cause people can listen to that episode. It's just uh, like, it, I know I kind of, I kind of threw uh, El Goro under the bus at the very beginning of it where I'm like, I didn't pick this movie. You did. And he's like, Oh yeah, that's right. Like, so like he, uh, <laughs> um, you know, so it was just one of those things where he wanted to have, you know, he wanted to have a nice double pairing of Peter Jackson films at like, at like the beginning of his career and then probably closer to like the, 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 the step between his two phases of doing like splatter horror and then moving on to bigger budget affairs. Uh, Cause he would then go on to do like Lord of the Rings stuff. But uh, yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, I think we kind of came down on the, the, the side of like, we could both appreciate it and there's bits that we like, but it was like, it was like neither one of our like favorite movies that we probably ever like pull out of a hat to talk about. So I think we had, we had a very uh, Herculean task of, Oh, not only, getting stoked, but trying to, you know, find, find the good in there too, because it's, it's, it's a, it's a movie that I've now seen three times once sober. Um, and it's a hard movie to approach. And it's a comedy. How hard is that to be like, yeah, this is a funny movie. I don't know if I could watch this ever again, but we tried. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't happen so much with comedies most of the time, but, uh, there are certain films that I think are wonderful pieces of, of filmmaking that, uh, I'm not eager to revisit again. Like, um, and this <laughs> this is such a an awful, awful comparison. But uh, when I think of, say, Saving Private Ryan, like it's a wonderful film and it's well made. Uh, it's also got some of the most horrific carnage in the beginning of it that I've ever seen in a movie. And I just I'm like, I think I'm good. I saw it once. It's a very great movie. It's an important movie. I don't know that I got to watch it again. So the, the, it's certainly not one that I would put on on a Saturday night where I'm like, 
What am I in the mood for? I know. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. That's actually funny that you you kind of mentioned that because I'm going to pivot here real quick into, I know we're, we talk about our weekends and things um, and we had two weeks. So everybody tuck in. This is going to be a five hour episode. First two and a half hours is going to be weekend talk. And then the last hour is going to be, I don't know, talking about falafel and tacos or whatever else we want to talk about. I don't know. Let's deal with it. Um, I, <laughs> I guess I just really want falafel and tacos right now. But um, so, yeah, in the meantime, um, there was a brief moment where where my basement flooded. That was not fun. And by flooded, I mean a couple inches of water, just enough to be a problem. I just mentioned it because there was definitely a point where I was trying to fight the the tides with a broom, which is not exactly a a, 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 a item known for handling water. Um and at one point I was walking around, I had my headphones in, I was listening to a podcast, I was, you know, drinking some White Claws, just being, being like, you know, the shittiest, like Poseidon ever, you know, uh, in my basement. And, and then all of a sudden I lost my footing and just went down hard on my left knee. And, oh, it was, no. and then I was on the floor and like, it was like the edge of the basement where like the water wasn't all the way in there, but it was like still like damp because I'd been walking around. Um, and then it's just like, I, you know. Like, like my wife's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, but it was like one of those things where it's like, you know, you're going to be okay, but it sucks for the moment that you're at it, you know, <laughs> cause then you're trying to <laughs> turn back over your leg already hurts. And it's like, you're this like soggy hobo turtle on the floor and you're trying to turn over. And it's also like, you're worried that you're going to do that thing where like, you're trying to get your footing, but you just fell down. So are you going to stand up again? Okay. You don't know this. Um, so <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, like my knee, it's still, it, it's, it's better now. It's like, I like, you know, it's not like, it's not like I can't put weight on it, but like the first day it was some tough going. Um, and, and then, then like the, the, we had to call the plumber or whatever they, you know, got everything taken care of for now. We're, we're, we're definitely paying for things happening this week to fix it forever. Um, but Welcome then like to the beauty of owning a home. Yeah. I, I just, everyone's like, Oh, and I'm like, you know, uh, every house I've ever stayed in for a significant amount of time has had like plumbing issues. So this was never going to be a matter of, 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 uh, if, right. So I'd rather happen early now, as opposed to us actually doing anything at the basement that we were happy with and then suddenly had that happen. Um, so that's okay. But like the next day, like we, um, we went to like the home Depot and like, we, we got like multiple mops, rubber gloves, buckets, bleach, all this stuff. And like, you know, it was like, I, I felt like we were gearing up for the movie, like midnight, was it midnight shift or, um, night shift. That's it. The, the Stephen King short story where they go to the bottom of the textile factory and they're like cleaning it out and they find the big rats and bats like Brad Dourif. Have you seen that film? Graveyard, graveyard shift. Say, I don't it's graveyard shift. shift. I think it's called graveyard, oh, graveyard shift. shift. Yeah. That's no, it. I yeah. That. Yeah. I just felt like we're going to find a big giant rat monster down here now, aren't we? So anyway, that's. But doing that with like a bum leg, it was just, it was, it sucked. But that was part of, part of like, you know, everything. So that was fun. Not really. Um, well, I don't want to yeah. make light of, of uh, your situation. Um, I, I completely, I understand like uh, uh, the position that you're in and it really sucks. But I do want to say, you gave me a great idea. I want to make like a movie poster of you, like holding a broom above your head and the title would just be shitty Poseidon. Please and there'd do just be water all around you. Yeah. Like uh, we need to get Jeff Ritchie involved. Uh, you know, <laughs> he can do like a Drew Struzan type poster. Oh. I think it would be no, amazing. No, you guys got to make me look good. Not like real. That's what I, you know, I need, you know, <laughs> like I, I need like, like 
like spanks for men or whatever or something, you know, to just <laughs> like I could be a shitty I could be a shitty Poseidon, but I need to be a like not so flabby Poseidon. But yeah, that was just uh yeah, that's what happened. I'm like I'm not mad about it. It is what it is. Like it's just one of those things where it's like Yep, this has to happen now. But so anyway, that was part of my my week away. I just want to mention this other thing. Uh, so I, I talked to you. We talked previously on the show about uh, the game, The Last of Us Part Two. And Steve's like, "Of course, I know this game." You know, Steve is not much of a gamer. Um, I finished the game, uh, and it was actually the same day that we were done, like scrubbing the basement. And the game was like thirty five hours in length. I just want to mention, and you mentioned Saving Private Ryan. This is why it's a good pivot into this, not me just being, you know, covered in basement water. Um, so much like, you know, the, like D-Day. No, that didn't happen that way. Uh, I finished the game, but I, I have never had an experience outside of like maybe the Lord of the Rings where every 30 minutes I think I'm done, but it just keeps going. And it's like, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but whenever you think you've hit a plateau and now there's going to be the falling action, um, you know, you're emotionally wrecked playing this game. Cause it just, it, it starts punching you in the heart and it does not stop. Like there is no, like even towards what I believe was the end, there was like a little bit of hope, but then it's like, Oh, well, the, some things are not resolved, but maybe that's the story of like vengeance. Isn't like the only thing that drives people now, right? Maybe the person can make the choice not to, to keep on. And you're like, okay, Maybe that's the story here. And I was like tears in my eyes for about an hour playing the end of the game. So I thought, and then all of a sudden it's like the game keeps going. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you can't, this is like every horror movie. It's like this, you don't have an ending where you're on a homestead just being happy for like 45 minutes. Something's going to happen. And then it did. And I'm just like, son of a bitch. I had like another three hours of gameplay that just made made me kind of angry at the main character for the decisions that they're making, but I knew I had to see it to the end. And so by the time I got done, I just felt kind of like hollowed out. Like, and people, some people were telling me like, yeah, it's a great gaming experience. I'm like, sure. Um, I don't think I ever want to play this game ever again. And I bought it digitally. So it's just sitting on my hard drive. So I can't really sell it, but I played it and it beat the shit out of me. Yeah, I guess I, you know it's it's along uh, the lines of me uh, now owning uh, wizards. Uh, <laughs> it's the exact. It's the exact same thing. You're right. I, I yep. don't have a DVD that I could go and trade in at the exchange. Uh, now it's just going to sit in my voodoo, staring at me for the rest of time. Well, yeah, it's like this thing even like unlocked like New Game Plus. Me, you could start over again with where you're your statuses in terms of like your weapon upgrades and everything. And it's like for a second, I'm like, yeah, it'd be kind of cool to see. Nope. I'm good. I am so good. Uh, yeah. Um, like it just, I, I just, uh, the, 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 there was the original red dead redemption game, which is a Western Steve. I know I've talked about a little bit before the ending of that game. I thought was like, okay, it goes on for a little bit. And it's like the longer it kind of goes on where you think like there's this happy ending. It's just, there's this creeping dread that comes in and it's like, and it, and it really, it, it pays off. Right. But this was like that times three in terms of link. Cause they stepped, they still kept giving you missions to do not missions, but you know what I mean? Like levels to get through and things. And it's like, okay, is, are we done now? Like it almost felt like the first third of another game. Like, like they almost were like, we made a sequel and then two hours of the third game that we're not going to release. That's what it felt like. Wow. That's, that's rough. I, I mean, it's, 
gaming is such a different experience than you know uh, what I think of as gaming. I mean, even if you go back to uh, like Halo or I'm trying to think of the, like the last game that I I played that would have had like a big epic story. It's it's probably Halo because everything else I think that I played at the time that I had an Xbox was um, either fighting games or uh, Star Wars based. But um, it is crazy the amount of time that you can put into a game and then for it to, to walk away and I don't know I. I it goes back to that question too of like, what does the, you know, the experience of us, you know, like was getting through it, just the experience enough. And, um, well, no, games that, are so different now. It, it's, you're right. I, I'm trying to like put myself in that frame of mind. Like, you know, I have, I, <laughs> I well, guess no, I, I, let, let's, I don't here, have here, here's the way let, let's, here's a good way to frame it. Um, and it, it's like taking like two seasons of a show, right? Cause I mean, that's almost the same amount of time you're going to consider, right? Or maybe even three seasons. Cause like this thing was like 30 hours and you're on this journey, but then let's say you get halfway through season three and it's like, you get like, you get the ending, but then it's like, now you're going to get like the follow through, but it's like, it's it, but it, it's just, you know, it's going to be all darkness all the way down for the next five hours. Like, so then when you're done, you're like, Okay, like I, you know, I don't. It's not. It's not that it's not redeeming. It doesn't have worth because this is clearly the vision that the the game's director and, and writer that was like, uh, what's his name? His name's Drucker, I think. Druckman, Neil Druckman, I think is his name. Uh, he. This was his vision, and he was the first person. He was the person behind the first game, and the first game's amazing. And also, I'm going to point out that um, the guy who was the director, writer, like the main guy behind the HBO uh, miniseries Chernobyl, which I have not seen. I know you've seen it. Um, he's actually going to be the one creating the last of us TV show for HBO. And he's, he's actually closely aligned with, um, the director, uh, 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 Druckmann to do this. Um, so what I'm talking about here, Steve, you might get to experience yourself just a different format. Okay. I mean, I will say, uh, Chernobyl is wonderfully done um it's also horrific i don't know that i'm eager to revisit it anytime soon so so it sounds like he's the right man for the job (laughs) yeah i just i want to point out one one thing real quick aside from the fact mushroom monsters are terrifying um uh, and that just they're always terrifying and they always will be in the game but there was a bit and this is like so um like all video games like you go uh not all, but like you'll be playing and then maybe you'll get the opportunity to like look at your inventory and go upgrade things or whatever. Um, there is these workbenches you can find throughout the world. So the whole thing is like the, the camera kind of changed and become first person and you turn like a little light off of the side and you put your gun down. And then if you did upgrades, like it went through this intricate like process of you showing your character upgrading the gun, which is cool. There was a bit where my character entered a building and this is the only time it happened in the game. So I knew something should have been up. She enters a building and she hears the tinkle bottles because she looks up and someone had like put up like a bunch of them over top of a door. So if the door opens, you'd hear it, right? Like, like a trap. And she's like, okay, that's weird. But in this world, you know, there's people all around, you know, things could get weird. So that, that didn't really stick with me other than there's probably real people around as opposed to mushroom monsters. I go up upstairs in this, like what's appeared to be an abandoned apartment building and she's like talking to herself and like the character. She's like, Oh, there's a lot of supplies here. And then I see an upgrade like table. And as I'm walking towards it, 
I hear real faintly in my headphones, I hear the sound of bottles, but I'm not thinking anything about it. I go to the upgrade table and as I'm setting my gun down, a hand reaches in from outside the screen and grabs my character and pulls her back and it starts this whole sequence. I jumped out of my chair because <laughs> like, and it was effective because it's like the game told you there's people here and then you heard bottles. So it's like they entered the building. I'm too busy grabbing all the tape and scissors and bullets to even pay attention. And then I go to upgrade my gun and suddenly I get jumped. That's effective. And it was amazing. And they only did it once. Cause if you did it repeatedly, then it'd get old. Like that was the one time it happened. And that was like, that made you feel like you can't trust anything, which was kind of the point of the game. So I'll give, I'll say that the game was amazing. Beautiful. It's just that emotionally, I feel like a rolled up tube of toothpaste right now. That's how I feel every day now. Uh, That's fair. That's fair. I just, you know, just, um, so, so yeah, that was my weekend. My, my extended week, extended two weeks was, uh, talking about puppet sex with another person on a podcast, uh, falling down in a basement, uh, and rolling around in water and then, um, getting, um, the shit beat on me emotionally. So after I finished the last of us two, I don't know why I decided to do this. I ended up just watching spotlight on Netflix. Have you, have you seen the film spotlight? It's like six years old now. Um, is that the one about, uh, the, uh, Catholic, the Boston Globe uh, breaking the big, you know, yeah. With the, Michael Keaton. And, yeah. Like it's, it's this movie about reporting and finding about all these priests committing like sexual abuse of kids. That, yeah. That's, that's a good, that's a good chaser after what I just played. Right. I was going to say, I've only seen it once again, a good movie. Don't know that I'll need to revisit yeah, it. I don't know why. Amazing I just did. performances. Yeah. You got Batman in there. You got the Hulk. Um, yeah, it's, you know, uh, you have, um, you have freaking, um, Dr. Manhattan in it too. You know, you got all those people. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's like, I ended up like, why did I emotionally watch this after just like the same day? And then I went to bed that night and I couldn't really focus. So I put on airplane. I don't know what my day was. That was a dumb day. It was a really dumb day for me. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that was me. That that's that's all I got to talk about. And that's that's plenty. We're already twenty minutes in. And now, Steve, tell me about your extended vacation away from the show. Uh, so every day is pretty much uh, the same anymore. Don't know what day it is. <laughs> Don't know what time it is. Uh, showering is optional. Pants is optional. It used to sound like a you know a a wonderful uh, proposition. Uh, these days, not so much anymore. But uh, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm going to go through some things that I uh, have uh, recently partaken of that have uh, at least, uh, if not dulled, uh, the ever ache that is uh, life in 2020. Uh, they were of quality, so we'll, we'll I'll bring them up. Um, quick, I just wanted to give a, a shout out uh, to I'll Be Gone in the Dark. I don't know if you're familiar with either the subject matter or the story, uh, it's a HBO limited series, uh, documentary. I forget the lady's uh, name, but it was uh, Patton Oswalt's late wife that did the reporting about the golden state killer. Correct. Yeah. Michelle McNamara. Yeah. Um, thank she, you for naming uh, her. I should have named her as opposed to naming Patton Oswalt's late, 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 late wife. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, when she passed away, I was unaware of her work. Um, I knew that, uh, I, I mean, obviously, I'm a white guy in my 40s. He's a nerd. So, of course, I love Patton Oswalt. So, um, when she passed away, I just remember just being like, oh, that's such a horrible thing. And um, watching the uh, the documentary, it takes you into 
her process when she's writing the book, uh, the, I don't want to say sadness that surrounds not only her, it, well, sadness is the right word. The sadness that, uh, that, uh, follows like how much trying to break this case got into her head, how much it affected her life. Uh, and obviously as somebody who has been a fan of Patton Oswalt, um, seeing his commitment to getting her story told, uh, was really, really touching. So it, it goes between, you know, talk, talking about Michelle's writing and her life, and then it also covers the case, which is horrific. Um, I didn't really know, know that much about the Golden State Killer. He was also the East Area Rapist, uh, so he's got a lot of victims. And there's a, and I'm not spoiling anything, but there's a, if there's a, a, a DNA that is finally um, used to figure out who he is, a DNA sample, I should say, um, that happens after Michelle has passed, and I think it's before the book is published. But uh, there's a scene towards the end of the documentary, and I, I think it's five one-hour episodes, um, in which a lot of the victims are you know, the ones who survived are, are meeting and, and sharing sort of their stories and talking about how, like, they give each other strength and, and yeah, how, you know, they've moved on with their lives because this happened in the 70s and the 80s. But there's a scene where they're talking to each other and they're giving each other their, their like, victim numbers. And it's just, it's like, oh, you were 38, I was 31. I'm like, oh, oh my God. God, like, it's, oh, so horrific. But um, it's a very, very, uh, powerful documentary. It's a, a great watch. Again, I know we're on sort of a sad kick right now. Um, it you, will you mean, make you mean 2020. You... Yes, I would agree. With that. <laughs> uh, it, it will, uh, bring you to tears at, at certain points, but, uh, it's a very worthwhile watch. Um, I strongly recommend it. It's on HBO or HBO max as it is known now, or maybe it's, I don't know. I'm assuming HBO is still a thing, but HBO Max is what we have. So I've been I've been um, watching HBO sugar free, um, you know, so I don't know which one you got, but uh, zero well, sugar, like zero peacock. carbs. Yeah. We've got the free version of Peacock right now. And uh, it's funny to me, the things that they've got behind the paywall where I'm like, oh, the George Lopez show. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God damn it. I got to get that. No. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, and that's not, you know, uh, anything about George Lopez, but it was just like, it was this weird thing where I was like, I would think you would go with your older series as the free ones and your more current ones as being behind the paywall. But yeah, that's, no, that's funny. That, that's actually really funny. No. Uh, uh, yeah. But so, so, so real quick, speaking about HBO max or HBO, you know, whatever rush or whatever to call it. Uh, did you see, uh, there's been a lot of the DC content um, that they put on there as like its own little portal. Um, and I know there's the DC, like own app with its own content. And I know doom patrol was on HBO max. Now the first two seasons of the Harley Quinn, like R rated animated series is on there. I'm kind of interested in that. Yeah. I unfortunately haven't had a lot of time to, uh, to, I was going to say experiment with HBO max, but that's not the right word to look around in it. Um, I know like the first day it was available. I just went in and I was like, Oh, space goes, coast to ghost. Boom. In my queue. Um, I think Robot Chicken in my queue. Uh, there was uh, a bunch of different movies. Threw them in my queue. 
So I haven't gone back because I haven't gone into my queue really and watched all those things I saved the first time. I haven't gone searching um, into HBO Max. I didn't realize Harley Quinn was on there now. No, they just recently added it. That's why I just wanted to mention it. So I've not had, really had a chance to watch it. The, fir- well, the first three minutes of an episode, like there was like seven F-bombs. I'm like, okay, okay, calm down, show. me. Okay, let's let's see what you got first before you get with all sweary stuff. But yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, that's my commercial for HBO Max, uh, you know, also sugar-free Max. But you're yeah. paying for the swearing. <laughs> yes, that's what the Max is. It's maximum swearing. <laughs> All righty. Well, the, the second of the three things that I wanted to mention is uh, a documentary that's now streaming on Shutter. It was uh, put together, put out in 2019. I believe it was a either an Indiegogo or a Kickstarter uh, born and bred documentary, but it's called in search of darkness and it is purported to be the ultimate eighties horror documentary. And it covers literally from 1980 to 1989. Most of the horror films that came out during that time, Hmm. it's a four, four hour and 24 minute documentary. Wow. So that's what I did with my Friday night. Um, I will say it's okay. Um, and it, like, it, it's, it's, it's really hard when you've got, um, documentaries such as, um, uh, his name was Jason and, um, uh, the nightmare on Elm street documentary, which literally covers every film in depth. And I think it's like four hours as well. That's called never sleep again. Right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, never sleep again. I own both of them. They're great documentaries. Um, it's really hard to be like, we're going to do this ultimate eighties documentary. And then they spend, you know, it's maybe like a half hour per decade and they try to cover all these different movies. And I just, I feel like that approach just left me feeling like I got many three minute documentaries for every movie that came out, but I didn't feel like I learned as much about the, the things that I would have, and again, it's unfair for me to be like, well, this is what I would have done with a four hour documentary on 80s horror. But I, with if you've got a four hour documentary, maybe instead of trying to go through every film possible, maybe you uh, you put together uh, like, you know, an hour of the documentary devoting just specifically to, you know, the special effects and the amping up of the gore in the 80s. Maybe you do an hour on. Um, the sexuality and the repression that was happening in the eighties and how that affected the horror genre. Um, and the fact that they don't actually get to touch really any foreign horror. And I'm, I'm not a big foreign horror guy. I admit that's a big blind spot for me, but like, I don't think any Dario Argento movies make it in. I don't hmm. think demons, which I think is Umberto Lenzi. I think you're right. Um, like that doesn't make an appearance. Like they're, there are these movies that are big from that period that weren't just made in America that I think would have slotted nicely into a larger theme of eighties horror had they maybe structured it differently. So you can't see me. I'm talking with my hands again. So hopefully it doesn't sound like I'm in a wind tunnel right now because I'm gesturing wildly, but my hair is blowing back slightly. (laughs) I'll just say that. No, I, I think maybe what you're saying though is with something like that, 
I'm sure it was made like with the intention of making this thing, but if Shutter picked it up, maybe, you know, there'd be something where those guys are like, Hey, we have this, but wouldn't it be cool if we did like the toys that made us version of this? Like, you know, kind of like, like, you know, shining a light, no pun intended on different aspects and devoting time. That way I think, you know, I think that would be giving you the depth that you would want and the things that like fans would really find interesting. Yeah, I mean, they do, you know, explore some of the special effects. They do explore some of the themes. They also brought up some films that I had not heard of or seen. So I did, like, whenever there was a movie that was like, oh, I've not seen that one. <laughs> I, I put together a list so that I have a reference later of movies. And I'm like, oh, didn't know this existed. I need to check C- it out. Criters. Criters? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I believe these same guys are now doing a in search of science fiction documentary. It's a it's basically the same idea, but exploring 80 science fiction. Ugh, okay. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I I'm not saying that it's bad because I, I, I think I gave it three or four stars on Letterboxd. I don't think it's a bad documentary. It's not like it's poorly told. I just. I feel like if you're going to try and encapsulate an entire decade, maybe doing it film by film isn't the best way to go. Yeah. I mean, even, even if you slot it in year by year and I don't know, like, I, I guess it's a matter of time and effort and, and budget, but that's unfortunate. Cause there's also, there was a, um, Oh, I forget the name of the channel, but they put out a, there was a, uh, series that was talking about video games. They went year by year through the eighties and each one was about a half hour, 45 minutes long. And it was okay. But a lot of it was just talking heads of like, Oh yeah, I loved Pac-Man. I love this. Things are great. It's like, you're not getting into the nuts and bolts. Like I get it. This is the, this is popcorn. Maybe this is like video gaming one oh one for somebody. It's like, I didn't know about the eighties video game crash of like a three or whatever. Like maybe that's what it is. And have a little bit of snark and some fun with it. It's just that it's not. Sometimes I need like if if you're gonna put this much effort in something, I need depth. And maybe that's what that sounds like. Where because they were trying to do all summer in a day, they couldn't give any certain thing a stage to actually show you why you should care. Yeah, and I I want to say that maybe in an era of content being readily available that we're a little bit spoiled when it comes to this type of thing, because, you know, I think of, you know, how many, how many box sets and, and Blu-rays I have of films that come with two hour documentaries on that specific film or, um, you know, something like, uh, more brains, which looks at the return of the living dead franchise, or, um, I want to say, Boy, it's what's it called? It's a, there's a Halloween documentary that came out like 2003. I think it's like 25 years of terror. That's a pretty good documentary. And when I got that, that was like a two disc DVD. So I I have all this other material already. So maybe it was also I'm a harder reach to like really get me. We, so. we need a Ken Burns of horror. We need a Ken Burns like baseball length documentary about horror films in the 80s. That's what we need. need. It's actually, it wouldn't be a bad series. And, and, uh, again, I I don't want to blow him up here, but like, you know, we always talk about El Goro's show, talk about rhythm, rhythm, and he does a fantastic job of it. So it's like, yeah, except when I'm on there talking about puppet sex. Other than that though, he does an amazing (laughs) job. 
No, but if regardless of the film he's talking about, he always brings uh, an educated uh, opinion, but also uh, he'll cover a lot of the interesting nuts and bolts that went into that film, even if it's something that maybe you haven't heard of before. So I think we're in an age now where we're kind of spoiled, where there is a lot of great content out there. And it may be an affair of me to be like, I, I wanted more out of this four-hour documentary. Well, no, I don't think I don't think it's unfair. I think, um, and, and not to go on too much about this, but I, again, you could, like, the invasion of the podcast, not to go on too much about it, you know, for f- four hours. Uh, I, if, if it tries to position itself as being, like, the encompassing documentary about 80s horror films, and it is just being, like, sprinkle, 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 like, all over for four hours, then it's not, it's not delivering on the promise. And I think... I, and, and again, I have not seen it, um, but considering that, and spoiler guys, like next week's episode, we're going to be getting into uh, uh, the life and times of the, the WWE wrestler, The Undertaker. There's a six part series on um, the WWE network about him called The Last Ride. That's what we're going to be watching next week. That's six hours about The Undertaker. So you're not, you're going to tell me that you're going to try to encapsulate uh, 80s horror in four hours whenever we're going to get six hours about the dead man. You know, like, I don't know. I think that might have been too much. Like you were biting off way too much that you could actually do deal with. And maybe their, their expectation of what they're trying to do is that if they do quick hits, that's the same thing as like paying time and place, because I'm going to bet the people that made this movie, they swam in these waters so long that they feel like what they're providing people is what they need. But they're the ones that experienced it. Not, not you and I, for the most part, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, that's, that's going to be a really hard, uh, line to, or like, you know, tightrope to walk. I would think. Well, tune in next week's folks, because, uh, I plan to be upset if there isn't at least a full hour on pole bear. <laughs> Me too. Um, we'll, we'll do a timer of all the Paul bear stuff. Now, um, the- don't worry, I'm working on my terrible impression of him already. <laughs> we'll have a Paul Bearer off. You know what? Can, can we make that promise? Can we have a Paul Bearer off next episode? I think so. I think okay. We can do it. Great. That would be amazing. Please, people, don't let me forget I promised a Paul Bearer off for next week's episode. And that's going to be like us trying to encapsulate a six-hour documentary about a performer and like the course of like an hour conversation, right? So that's going to be tough. <laughs> but no one, no one's giving us money to, to make like the crystallized version of that. Um, so That's fair. We're giving it away. That's true. <laughs> it's true, everybody. I'm just on a street corner giving it to whoever, but anybody wants it. That's all, you know, just... You know, just a, just a, I'm just a puppet hooked up on smack. No, I'm sorry. I'm just a shitty Poseidon hooked up on smack and I just need my next fix, you know? So. <laughs> All right. And then the last thing that I wanted to mention is, uh, we watched the, uh, first season of Nosferatu. I don't know if you have checked out the show at all. It's an AMC show starring Zachary Quinto. I was going to say, that's the Joe Hill series with Spock in it. Correct. Yeah, I actually I hate to admit it. I haven't read Lock and Key. I haven't read any of his books and I haven't watched. I know there's a Netflix adaptation of Lock and Key, so I have literally no I have no um, background with Joe Hill other than the fact that I know that he's the little kid in Creep Show. <laughs> so. And based upon that, I had high expectations for Nosferatu. <laughs> 
But I, I wanted to say that uh, it's an interesting series that doesn't, based on what I thought it was, it goes to a lot of different places, and uh, it's a it's a. Uh, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it's a fun watch, but it's a very interesting hmm. horror drama, uh, and I would recommend uh, those of you out there who are looking for something to watch that isn't uh, reruns of The Office, you may want to give this a try. Fair enough. Um, I am not, I mean, I know who Joe Hill is, which I would think would be amazingly great in life, Steve, if you actually had a friend named Joe Hill, just just like randomly. So they'd be like, oh, look at <laughs> Stephen King and Joe Hill. And then it'd be like, what? It'd be even doubly confusing. Um, that'd be so much fun. But no, Joe Hill is the son of Steve King. He, he took his, I think it was his, uh, his mother's maiden name. Um, either way, he wanted to do his own thing. Lock and key got him like that. That's his big ticket right now. And then I know, well, he's been doing other things and he's been working with his dad. There's the Netflix, uh, film that in the tall grass, it's based upon one of their stories that was actually directed by the guy that did uh cube. I still need to watch that. I have not seen it. Um, I, I need to get into Joe Hill. I've heard Nosferatu is a fun book. I've heard, um, the fireman's pretty good. Like he's supposed to be supposedly have written some really good things. And I just have yeah, not gotten to it. I had to explain to Kathy who who he was. She had no like context of a that it was a book previously, and she didn't even know that Joe Hill, that Stephen King had a son who uses a pseudonym to write. And uh, so I kind of broke that down for her. She was like, "Wow, that's really interesting. I think that's such a good idea on his part." I'm like, "Well, yeah." I'm like, "I'm like I I go by S. Lewis King simply because anytime somebody finds out my real name, they make a joke." I can't imagine being his actual son and trying to make material. I mean, the cat's on the bag now and everybody knows, but at the time I think that he was putting out his work, you know, initially he was trying to keep that undercover or in the bag. So, yeah, no, and in, in, in respect, like, you know, like, so I, I, yeah, I thought that was right. So not to, to get into, but like, you know, of, uh, in the King family, you got you got Joe. You got uh, Owen, his his other son, who he writes with. Owen writes his own things too, but Owen does write with his father. And then they have uh, their sister Naomi, which I don't think she's a writer. But of the of the five people in the household, you know, obviously everybody knows Stephen King. His wife uh, Tabitha King is a published author as well. Like they're like four out of the five people have published books, and maybe Naomi has as well. I don't know, but it's like like you know. You know, I can't imagine living in that house and not being creative, you know, so um, that's neither here nor there. But yeah, good, good on Joe Hill to separate himself enough in the sense of if someone didn't know and they came across his work that they didn't have the shadow of his father in their head while watching his work. Because he also he also wrote the book Horns that became the movie with uh, uh, Harry Potter in it that I've not seen the movie or read the book. So I guess I'm just bad about getting to that stuff. You know what? I completely forgot about Horns. I put it in my Netflix queue, like, I don't know, three or four years ago, whenever it like came out on streaming. I was like, oh, Horns, I've been meaning to watch this. And then somehow just completely <laughs> forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. I mean, with, like, I'm all, I, if you looked at my Netflix queue, it is like, it's aspirational. It is like, there is some amazing things that I will never watch that I'm like, I'm going to get to that one day. And then I turn around and watch Spotlight and Airplane back to back. So I have no idea where I'm at with anything right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, and and well, I, also, yeah, please go ahead. 
Oh, no, I was just going to say, it's also that weird fight that I always have with myself about watching something that I know or, or, or getting myself to watch something new. Like, I would love to revisit Star Trek The Next Generation or all of Deep Space Nine because I barely remember how it ended. But I'm like, that's seven seasons <laughs> of a show that I've already watched. Try and commit yourself to something new. And then I'm just like, I'll throw on Parks and Rec. Yeah, that's like me, like <laughs> like that, or like I, I've been um, going back to Rick and Morty again recently. Just because, I mean, not that not that I was away for long, but it's like it constantly brings me entertainment, you know. So you're right. There's a certain amount of comfort food there. But I've also, again, look at this. 45 minutes in, and no news. Look at you. You guys just love this so much. Um, I have been revisiting. You know, hold on. Say what? I don't want to interrupt you. Yeah, please. But I just forgot that we hadn't done news yet. I was like, what's he talking about? We're just going on. The, I'm like, oh, no, we haven't talked about news. Go well, on. And I, if we'll you want, like, if, if we could, we could trim news down just to the one thing. It's fine. We can, <laughs> we can make this, uh, we can cut it midstream. No, uh, it's just yeah. funny because I I just forgotten that we hadn't even done it yet. Yeah, but I mean, who, yeah. anyway. So, no, I had also been catching up on um, the Mystery Science Theater on Netflix because I had not actually watched all of the first season nor the gauntlet. So I've been going back to that, just trying to, cause that's something that you could just put on and that, you know, it's, it's mystery science theater. Like, um, you know, it, it, the hit rates kind of spotty at times in terms of the jokes, but it travels by so fast that the things that work really work. So I'm about, I'm, I'm almost halfway through the original, the original season that was put on Netflix, which was kickstarted. I know, but, um, I'm enjoying it. It's just, you know, it talk about comfort food. Like that's kind of where I am with that right now. It's nice to kind of go to bed watching that and not having to think too hard about it. Yeah, the first season has uh, a good selection of different movies, but I think they really hit their stride with the gauntlet, and I wish they would have done more. Uh, and hopefully, we're going to get more in some form or another in the future. But uh, I think that the jo- uh, I'm sorry, not Joel Jonah had settled in. I think they had found their rhythm. I think that they had really like started to take off the gauntlet because there's it's a combination of some really amazingly bad movies. Mm. Uh, and then uh, I think they were really starting to click writing and performing wise. Yeah. I just so. got through uh, the beast of hollow mountain. The only thing like that one was okay. I'm a sucker for any time. If someone's running across the screen and someone makes like uh, car noises, I'm always a sucker for like go-kart noises and someone just like hollowing ass across the screen. And there's a few different times where they did that and I cracked up. So I'm digging it so far. It's, it's been fun to get. And like the next one in the list uh, in order would be star crash, which I've already watched them do that, but I might just watch it again because as we talked about in our year of the knockoff, like two years ago, star crash has its merits and it's so stupid that I might want to watch that again. Yeah, uh, I think Avalanche was probably my favorite of <laughs> Avalanche that first great. season. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, when you get into the Gauntlet, there's obviously Mac and Me, which I don't know that it gets better than Mac and Me. But there's a uh, Lords of the Deep, which is a Corman aquatic film. There's a uh, oh boy, um, I know Atlantic Rim's in there. I've been kind Atlantic of Rim. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, all right. Um, yeah, that's, that's been our weekend, uh, sorry, week, weeks plus two. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, um, sorry. Was there anything else that you were getting into? Like any, no, no, I, any, I, any I, magic like foods that you rediscovered anything from like, you know, from uh, JC pennies that you've, uh, you've re you know, reacquired. So it's funny that you say that <laughs> because, uh, I haven't actually there's found a, anything. There's a today. turkey wrap that I found once at a hex. I had to remake. 
I was uh, I was late to our recording this evening because I lost track of time because I was putting together our giant eagle curbside pickup for tomorrow. And I was trying to find foods that I could try and make. And I was like, what kind of fair foods can I make at home? And I started Googling recipes. I didn't come up with anything that I was like, oh, this sounds like it's going to turn out great. Or it's, it, you know, I, I was trying to find new ways to poison my body, basically. Uh, and I was unsuccessful. But it's it's interesting that you brought it up because it's literally what I was doing right before we started recording. <laughs> I appreciate that. This is why we're friends. So, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, let's just get to some news. everyone uh, all right uh yeah look at that. That, that is that a record for getting the news i don't know whatever anyway it's we're like, for all its purpose we're still in quarantine so and steve and i hadn't really talked in two weeks so you guys are getting if, if this is the kinked up garden hose this is what happens this is what you guys are getting this is going to be the four hour episode which i talk about a four hour uh, documentary and uh <laughs> hour three no <laughs> yeah. um yeah no, uh, so the, 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 I think the big the big thing we wanted to get to here was that uh, so uh, Disney's Mulan live action movie, which was supposed to come out in March, kept getting kicked back, kicked back because um, I don't know uh, the country can't get shit together and you know put masks on and stop viruses from happening. Let me say I was at the grocery store two days ago or like two three days ago, um, and I found this funny. Other people may not. But I found it funny in like the most frustrating way possible that like here in Ohio, here in Cuyahoga County, uh, there's a mask mandate. So people need to wear masks and I see most people doing it. There's still some dick noses and I'm like, get the, get your nose in your mask, whatever. Anyway, it's not helping, you know, that's my point. But there was two dudes, two bros over by the CBD oils. Um, and I happened to be over there cause I was just buying a shit ton of bang energy drinks because speaking of poisoning your body. You know, that's what I was doing. I was like, this tastes like birthday cake. I got to buy all these cans. Um, I looked over and the one dude had his mask on looking at CBD oil. And the other guy was pulling his mask down to talk to his friends about the benefits of CBD oil. And I'm like, wait, you're, you're, you're pulling your mask down, which is like proven to, to help. And you're talking about CBD oil, which that has not been proven to do anything yet. Okay. I guess this is where we're at now. Like it is, it just, you know, blew my mind. Yeah. I, I, I honestly don't understand. We've, we've literally been asked to do the bare minimum and the American <laughs> people cannot. So, I mean, people uh, might tell me CBD oil does stuff, but it's like, it, it, you know, it's like marijuana without the, the marijuana. Like, so maybe, I don't know. There's, there, there's not a lot of like peer reviewed evidence to suggest it does something. I'll just say that. So, um, but yeah, just seeing somebody be like, yeah, this is what we're, let me pull my mask down. I'll talk to you about it. I'm like, Oh my God, you're, you're, you're reversing it. You're getting it wrong. But that's just me. Yeah. I, 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 again, I don't know. Uh, I just wear a mask people. I, I'm just gonna leave it at that. Just wear a mask <laughs> right, and right. don't, don't wear it below your nose. Don't walk around with it on your damn chin. Wear it properly. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't, whatever, you know, anyway. So because, uh, because we can't have nice things, movie theaters haven't reopened, which is the responsible thing. Uh, Christopher Nolan's tenant's been moved to like six years from now. I don't know. Uh, but Mulan was supposed to come out and forever, not forever. It's only been a few months. We've been, this is, this is the longest year in the, the history of years. 
um, people have been talking about like, well, why doesn't Disney just release Mulan to Disney Plus like they did with um, Onward, uh, the Pixar film, right? Um, Onward and, had been in theaters like two, three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So it made some money there, right? So, and Mulan, I think, is a much higher budgeted film. Um, and so uh, like, they're like, what's going to happen? What are you going to do? Now Disney's announced that they're actually going to release Mulan available uh, digitally. However, you have to be subscribed to Disney Plus and it will cost $30. But they say that once you pay that, it will be part of your library. Um, I, I think that's an interesting way to go. It does feel kind of shitty to be like, hey, you're something the surface cool. You want to see, you got to pay more. Like, it just feels weird to me. It's like, oh, okay, you've already, we've already given you money, but you're going to charge us additional for a thing that you want to release. Like, I get it, but it feels weird. So I guess I'm, I'm of an opposite mind in the sense that I, I'm, and I, I, I this is going to come up later uh, if we talk about the things that I think we're going to be talking about, but, uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music is now coming out September 1st, and I am not going to a theater that movie. I am happily going to plunk down my $20, and I don't know how long I get to – I'm assuming with these pay-per-view uh, events, you get 24 hours to watch it, and I assume that's it. Um, I, I could be wrong, but with Disney Plus, if – and again, all jokes aside about Star Wars and and – the current trilogy, but if we if if this was last year and they're like the last Star Wars film, you know, episode nine is not going to be able to come out in theaters, but we're going to give you a chance to add it to your library, to our streaming scri- subscription, admittedly. For $30, I'd have paid it in a heartbeat. See, so, the, the $30 thing is the thing that bugs me because you're already paying $8 a month for the service, which I know that that sounds like me quibbling, but you're already paying a barrier of entry to get in. Um, and I guess you could talk about the average price of two movie tickets, but those movie tickets are because of markups because of the theater, because the, the distributors are already kind of hooking them through the nose for things. So you're paying for keeping the lights on and, and, and everything. There's a lot of overhead there. I, if it was twenty bucks, I think I something about the the thirty dollar price point is the thing that catches in my head. Those twenty, like like I told you, and I'm, I'm keeping you from talking. I'm sorry. Uh, no, a, okay. cu- a couple weeks ago, I ended up doing that uh, you know VOD premiere for that you should have really left or whatever that Kevin Bacon spooky movie was. And did we overpay for it after watching the film? Probably. But it's like that's something that like I paid twenty bucks. I got to watch it home with my wife. There was no other people making noises other than us and the cats. That was worth it to me. Um, if this is 20, I, I guess if the, the hook is $10, you keep it in your library fine. But then that implies that Disney plus is never going to have Mulan available as part of their catalog for Disney plus until much later, which also feels weird to me because I thought part of the appeal of the service was that you'd get access to it sooner, which I mean, I know right now the theater window is weird because theaters aren't a thing, but you, do you see what I'm saying? I feel, it feels a little weird to me. I understand. I guess I look at it from the perspective of, uh, and again, this is probably even a better analogy uh, than Star Wars. If I had had to pay thirty dollars to get to experience Endgame, would have paid it. Okay, that's I fair. Mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, that's just me speaking, like as somebody who was so amped for those films. But 
uh, yes, I'm not going to pay for Mulan because it's it's not a movie that I'm that hyped up to see. Like if it's you know if it gets great reviews, maybe, but like it's not something that I'm going to like day and date buy on Apple Plus, um, Apple Plus, Disney Plus. <laughs> um, but I do want to say too. Again, I am now. This may shock you, folks at home. I am not a financial wizard, so. I don't quite understand how they're making money off of streaming. I, I honestly don't understand how Netflix makes money. I don't know that I, I think Netflix is making money. I feel like they're spending more than they make. That said, when it comes to Disney, yes, they have all the money in the world, but they still have to make money somehow. And they can't keep throwing up their big blockbuster films and maybe they could with Mulan. Maybe they could do it with the next 10 movies. But at some point, there's going to be a breaking point. I think people sometimes forget that, like, you have to pay for your content. There was a point in the 80s where some movies came out on VHS and they were $80 to own. Like, well, to be I, fair, I, the, that was the movie studios worried that people would like, like buy them and then go make a thousand copies. and They'd not get their money back. But to be fair piracy is a much bigger issue now than it was in the eighties. Well, okay. Do you see- I see. What, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, um, so that, that's fair as well. Uh, you know, tonight on count pointer count. I look at this, the, the, the Steve and I we're, we're going to dissolve the show over our talk point, about counterpoint. Yeah. I think I said it wrong. Yeah, whatever. I just, we're going to, our friendship is now dissolved because of arguing about Mulan streaming. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, just, I think it, I think it makes sense. I think it's a test as well. I think, I think if this does well, we'll see it with Black Widow. I, I agree. This is a test balloon. I will just say, in terms of what you think, like in terms, like how much money are they making on something. I will say, um, with World of Warcraft at its height, I think it was like twelve million plus, or maybe even more than that. Like subscribers at fifteen dollars a month. Like, yeah. If you and, and, and Netflix is what for like the the premium ones, like fourteen now. I think without like because. I don't know. There's different tiers. Hulu has like the, the ad free tier. Disney plus is eight bucks, which I mean, that's the best deal going around. Let's be honest. But I think that if enough people sub in, it's almost like a gym membership. Like if you don't, even if you don't think about it, it just goes away. Like the money gets sucked out of you and you're done. I, I think they're okay. And I think Disney's okay in this regard too. Um, yeah. I mean, if someone told me that I could see black widow this weekend for 30 bucks, I guess I'm a hypocrite and say, well, if I watch with my wife, that's 15 a person. That's about the price of a movie ticket. I guess I'll take it. Um, it just, it, it just feels like that. I, I don't know if they did some cost benefit analysis, but it, it, but the thing is to me is if, if you're breaking it down to the cost of a movie ticket, we know that's not the actual price of admission and that, that that's, you know what I mean? I think the infrastructure is already there. It's coming to our home. We're using our equipment to watch it. You know, like if this is a way to maximize it, I get it, but it, that price point doesn't feel entirely genuine to me for what we're getting versus all the other VOD stuff that has come out um, since like, um, like invisible man was 20 bucks VOD uh, for the longest time. And I didn't watch it yet. um, But I understood that you're paying for the, the price of the, like of the same day access for it. I get that. I just think that you're already on the hook for eight, eight dollars for Disney plus like 30 feels like it's steep. You know, that's just me. But again, uh, we disagree, and the show's not over, everybody. Thanks, everybody. This is a lot shorter episode than I thought it was going to be. And now, cue the music. <laughs> yeah, and and now we're out.
<laughs> no, I, I, I think that uh, you and I are, you know... Steve, the music's playing. We're out. No, I'm oh. joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, this I, has I, been I, Invasion of the Podcast. Go screw yourselves, people. <laughs> I should have been quiet for the joke. I apologize. No, that's okay. I just there is a dog protesting in the distance. I don't know if you've heard that or not <laughs> the entire time. Uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the experiment, uh, you know, what comes of it. Um, I do think it's interesting. What I had read was is that it stays, and you can watch it multiple times with that thirty dollars price tag. So, like, I mean, if I'd had. The, the ability to watch Endgame like six times in the weekend that it opened, I totally would have. So, yeah, we'll see. That's fair. I mean, if you get to keep it in your library, regardless, I, I guess that's fair. And you're right. I, I I believe this is a testing ground for going forward for whatever else they have. Because I mean, uh, Black Widow is just sitting there with the potential to make money, and again, they would take my money. So I guess I'm a hypocrite. But that's what's happening right now. So that's the first story. Second story we're talking about here. Um, uh, Steve mentioned to me that uh, that DC uh, was having their big uh, th- fandom, which is their fandom thing. So this is the year of uh, virtual um, conventions. So um, I saw the trailer for this. It just cracked me up that the very beginning of the trailer, it shows people milling about like, like a big hall. I'm like, but that's <laughs> not the point. That feels very counterintuitive, but it looks like it's an interesting thing. You had mentioned to me before start recording that you actually attended some of the intended attended. I mean, sat at home and, you know, um, I don't know, eight mayonnaise out of a jar or whatever it is, you know, um, with no pants as you watched uh, Comic-Con from home. I didn't do any of that, but I, you said you had. So what was that experience like? So it was an interesting experience in that a lot of it did feel like being at work and being on a Zoom call. Um <laughs> But at least I wanted to be there, so I guess there's that. Um, I, I I would say probably overall I watched maybe ten different Comic Con panels that were presented for free on YouTube under Comic Con International channel. Um, and, and to be fair, I also watched the ones that were more um, comics based as opposed to. A lot of the bigger, um, you know, Comic-Con has over the last 20 years become about films more than it has comics when for the first probably 30 years of Comic-Con's existence, it was about comics sprinkled in with films. And now it's at least in the last, you know, 15 to 20 years, it's become more focused on upcoming film releases. Um, the, the panels that I watched were things like uh, colorist Brian Miller, who's been on the show, not during my time, mind you, but he's been on the show uh, in the yeah. past. He specifically um, said he didn't it, want Steve anywhere near the show if he was on it. No, <laughs> that is correct. He uh, he had a panel on coloring comics. I own his book, uh, How to Color Comics the Hi-Fi Way. Um, but it was interesting to watch because I picked up some tips that even having read his book that I didn't know. Uh, so that was great. Um, I watched a, uh, an interview with Jim Lee on his upcoming artist edition from IDW for uh, his run on X-Men, which I think is his first three or four issues hmm. of X-Men that are being presented in the uh, artist edition. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I watched uh, of the like more popular things that I watched. Uh, I watched a presentation on 
uh, the upcoming HBO show Lovecraft Country, which is very interesting. And then I, of course, watched the Bill and Ted uh, presentation, which surprisingly they went out of their way to make it a little bit more exciting than a Zoom call. It's still the same thing, but at least they had like people's faces appearing in like, you know, telephone booths and they tried to jazz it up some. So um, with that, I think that DC is smart to have their own event that they can capitalize on like, we're doing this 24 hour events where we're going to give you exclusives about our movies and comics and TV shows um, because there's no other game in town right now. So um, there was criticism of Comic-Con at home simply because people were like, well, it didn't grab the numbers and it wasn't as exclusive. And I'm like, yeah, but a, you didn't have a lot of the bigger films making presentations and B most of this stuff makes its way makes its way to the internet via secondary like yeah. uh, channels like yeah. like shitty so like shitty phone videos and stuff. You're right. Yeah, yeah. You can't have that buzz uh, simply because people are being able to experience what they can experience by tuning into the channel, and maybe it doesn't create as much excitement, but. At the same time, it was kind of nice to be like, oh, there's all these panels happening, Um, especially and there's still some that I want to watch. I don't know how long they're going to be up for, but I'm like, oh, I I would like to check this out and see, you know, what's uh, what's happening. There's a a panel that was just on like uh, poster art for films. And I think Drew Struzan was a part of it. Haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Uh, Long story short, I, I think it's a good idea. I think particularly since DC has Wonder Woman 1984 coming out, James Gunn's Suicide Squad, Zack Snyder's Justice League, and other <laughs> things coming out, it's a smart move. We'll put it that way. Well, I've heard, I've heard HBO Max is now going to charge you a punch-in-the-face additional if you want to watch uh, the Zack Snyder uh, Justice League. That's the cost to get in now. <laughs> it's a punch-in-the-face and a kick, a kick in the crotch. I think that's what they're charging right now. And you must set fire to your copy of the Joss Whedon uh, Justice League. I think that's what you got to do. I think I think uh, fans are already doing that for some reason. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me at all. That's if you fair. liked it enough to buy it, maybe maybe don't go setting it on fire in your protest uh, because the Zack Snyder version is coming. But. No, I'm not against I'm not against like these like more like uh, like focused things. Uh, it's just that I I do feel like. Um, that they're kind of setting the bar for like access that once things go back to quote unquote normal, you know, whenever that is that I think that they still kind of owe it to their audience to try to do some type of thing like this going forward. I'm not saying the same thing. I'm not saying 24 hours. I just think that um, there's a good will to this uh, that, that they've kind of seen because of where they're at. Um, I think that this is a good way to go forward to still have interaction. Um, maybe not a complete thing, but like, um, I, I just think that like, cause wizard world jumped on this whole, like you could, you could, uh, like face to face the members of outlander. It's like, I, you know, as much as I might like a property, just seeing them in a zoom call with my face and them seeing me for a second. I don't know. That doesn't feel worth it to me, you know? Um, but something like this, where they're actually having panels and things like, like, um, like, uh, I mentioned World of Warcraft earlier, uh, Blizzard Entertainment, 
has a, a yearly event called BlizzCon that they, it's very, you know, like people can attend and it's a lot of fun. Uh, they put all their panels like, like online, but you can pay for what's called a virtual ticket to attend BlizzCon for like the weekend. I think that that model in this is going to come together somewhat going forward. I think that's going to be the new face of fan interactivity. Yeah. And I, I think that it's a good idea to try and, and particularly since people can't leave the house. I think it's a good idea to try and get people involved in uh, what their plans are for the future. And I, I, I'd be interesting to see how much of this is, focused on the bigger properties versus like how much comics news is going to come out of it. I'm going to say maybe 25% of like exclusive comics news and probably 75% is it's going to be based in everything else, television, animation, and movies. That's fair. So, all right. Uh, fandom, um, it, you know, it's like Thunderdome, but not. So there you go. Uh, it's coming. It is, uh, August 22nd. Uh, it's going to be for 24 hours. So I'm just saying load up on bang energy drinks and then, you know, CBD oil. I don't know about that, but you know, just get ready. There's going to be a lot there. There's going to be so much DC that you'll have to DC from the world for a minute to process it all. That's what I got to say. Um, anything else you want to mention about the, the fandom? No, no. I, I, I also will say that I, I'm guessing they're probably looking at what, uh, was done with a lot of panels uh, with uh, Comic-Con at home. And I would assume probably trying to top those and maybe make, because some of them were very much very dry and boring. If you (laughs) were like, Oh, this is just three people on a zoom call talking. So it'll be interesting to see what lessons they may have taken from what happened with the Comic-Con at home and see if they do it better. Fandom just sounds like a shitty knockoff of Sky Zone, like this place you can go to and like they 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 you know put you in the tube with all the air and you're like in a jumpsuit. It's just like, hey, you can't afford Sky Zone. Come to Fandom where you might get moved. That's what that sounds like to me, where it's just a bunch of box fans and you're hoping to feel something. That's what yeah. That's that's a bad joke. We're gonna move on. Well, I don't think this is a year because I think D23 happens every other year or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't think D23 was slated for this year, but I do. I am. I'm curious to know if Disney slash Marvel slash Lucasfilm slash all of their other properties now, they might also be paying attention and being like, you know what? Maybe we should put an event like this together as well, which will be available at Disney be- Plus, but it's going to cost you 30 bucks to see it. That's what's going to happen. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, like they'll, they'll do, they'll do like a virtual walkthrough of like their, uh, Avengers land or whatever it is on like, uh, from, was it, uh, was it Disney, uh, Disneyland that then they opened that up over there on the West coast that was supposed to be open in the summer. I don't know if it's Disney's Islands of Adventure or something along those lines or if it's Disneyland. But, yeah, yeah I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, the Avengers Campus. Avengers Campus, yeah. Um, so, all right. Last last thing here. Got to get into a dumb story. This is from this is from two weeks ago. I don't know if Steve heard this or not. But I'm going to read the headline to you, and I'm just going to get your reaction. And then we'll talk for a minute about this because this is the lowest common denominator. Um, <clears throat> man steals massive dildo from sex shop, and he's still at large. Have you seen the story of this? 
No, but the fact that it's a massive dildo and still at large makes me chuckle. Yes. A masked thief was still at large after he casually exited a Las Vegas adult store in broad daylight with a three-foot, 40-pound dildo hoisted onto his shoulder. And there's security footage of this. Um, and he just picked up, picked it up and walked out with it. Uh, Laura, a store employee who declined to give her last name, told the Huffington Post on Tuesday, TMZ, which <laughs> obtained surveillance footage of this theft at the Deja Vu Love Boutique in Las Vegas, reported the man stuffed the stolen phallus into his car and made a clean getaway. Um, the, 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 the sex toy. So we're talking about the, the 40 pound, uh, dildo that's three foot tall. Um, you know, it's, it's the, it's, it's the size of a tattoo from fantasy Island. Uh, it retails for $1,250. Um, yeah. And then the last line of this, this article was amazing. It says if the crook gets caught, he'll surely be subject to the penal code. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, just I, like when I saw this headline originally, whoever posted that, I wrote, well, that's a dick move. That's all I wrote about it. <laughs> <laughs> so what's something from like a store that's not like not something that you can get every day something that would be like crazy stupid for you to steal like what is there something in like because i'm like what makes you what makes this the thing that you go after because there, there's no practical application for it there's no you know uh there's no benefit to owning it probably. no there's uh, not I, I assume so do you remember this was oh gosh this was probably close to 20 years ago when someone walked into uh, the football hall of fame in Canton, Ohio and stole OJ Simpson's bust. Do you remember when that happened? They took I the bronze. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I had visited the football hall of fame before this happened and you could walk up to all the hall of fame busts and touch them. Like you could just like, cause I saw people touching everything in there. I'm like, I don't know if that's how you preserve history, even if it's football history. But I remember I touched the bust of OJ Simpson's head, OJ Simpson's head. Cause I thought it was funny. It'd be like, Oh, I touched OJ's head. And then when it got stolen, I'm like, I hope they don't dust that for prints. You know, like um, when they find it, but someone just walked in and tipped it into a bag and left. And then it was found in like an underpass on the highway. And I'm like, um, on 90 somewhere in Cleveland. <laughs> so someone just left it to be found because they didn't know, they didn't know what to do with it, you know? So I think that's amazing. Um, so if you're asking me like, what would be the thing that would be like the most like absurd to take just for no explanation and to be known you're taking it? I, I don't know. Like it'd be like walking into like a Sam's club or something and finding like the largest box or container of hot dogs and just beating feet out of there and be like, why did this guy take all these hot dogs? It's like, I don't know. You know, like, I don't know what would be the dumb thing to go take. Like, like all, all yeah. the Blu-ray copies of Tomorrowland. I don't know. Like, I don't know what you would do. <laughs> every once in a while, I'll see something. And well, I should say every once in a while, because it's no longer a thing. I don't get to go to stores anymore. But, uh, you know, <laughs> Uh, like, uh, you know, you'd see some sort of like promotional item where you're like, that's the dumbest thing ever, but I want it in my house. Like, uh, when, uh, Phantom Menace came out, Pepsi put out these, these large coolers, like that were literally life-sized R2-D2 that were for putting pops in and, and, you know, you, I worked at the gas station at the time, so you would put ice in it, fill it up with Pepsi products. People come in during the day, buy it and you refill it and, you know the cycle goes on, but I'm like, I, those are the types of things that I would steal. Like, you know, if it was, 
you know, I don't know. Oh, it's a four foot, you know, Mr. Potato Head figure from somewhere. Like, yeah, that would be something dumb. Uh, but I, I, I think probably R2-D2 cooler would probably be the thing that I would probably would have grabbed 20 years ago. <laughs> if, it was so. up to, if it was up to my wife when we were out in Vegas, uh, like not near the sex shop with the, the massive three foot dildo, there was a candy store that was near like the planet Hollywood or something there. And there was, do you, the, you've seen Pusheen the cat. I know my wife posts pictures of Pusheen. I don't know if you know the cartoon Pusheen. It's a great cat yes. that's like pear shaped and the laziest cat in the world. And a delight. Uh, we found a Pusheen that was probably half the size of her. It's like, that would be the thing she'd run out of the store with in a heartbeat would be this world's largest Pusheen. Um, you know, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> I just think that this guy was like, you know what? No one's ever going to believe this. And if they catch me, they're going to be like, why'd you do it? And be like, cause I could, you know? And the fact that the guy's at large and it's like uh, at large, at large with the, the three foot, uh, you know, massive dildo. Um, you know, maybe, maybe he's just waiting to right, Burning so, Man next year to um, take it up there, the, up north. 2020 is the, the old guard. It is a Netflix original film. Don't to get yeah, extra or, or like for the post apocalyptic Charlie Theron, directed by that he's going to get his uh, like see, badass looking like truck. And that's going to be Prince Blythewood like, jabbing uh, everybody down. And it has a lot of other people involved too. Surprisingly, not surprisingly, it's probably not the right word. Instead of a giant behind the scenes. Uh, where there, I guess, like, in the don't want to be production, by this guy, like or maybe I do. Eating, I don't know. Uh, women, it's 2021 now. <laughs> you know? anyway. I mentioned that because so, yeah. we've we've we spent it's not too much every time day that you get a action dildo directed by well, wait, a female. you know probably won't be the headline by a female. So, yes, and uh, we got through news. Steve, congratulations, you've unlocked that. It makes it sound like I'm speaking from another planet. Let's just move on to. Now um, our discussion about I didn't realize that going into this exclusive movie didn't pay extra for feel about the movie. The old guard. That's pretty. That's and pretty now cool. for our future and presentation. I for yeah, I, I was going to say, um, previous to watching this, uh, actually previous to the release, it was probably three or four weeks ago, uh, Greg Rucka, who's the writer of the comic, uh, had appeared on uh, Kevin Smith's uh, show Fat Man Beyond with uh, him and Mark Bernard, and, and he discussed that a little bit, and just the fact that uh, you know, if you look at Greg Rucka's work, um, that's uh, uh, female characters are a big piece of his uh, work, and he's very much someone who encourages, and I shouldn't say encourages because it sounds shitty, but like he's certainly somebody who tries to promote women and and get women out there to. Um, I'm not doing this justice, but well, no, 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 like, short, no, there's, uh, a, there's it, a lot of creators out there that like, you know, they do what they do, but like, it's important for him to like, for him to not champion, but feel like this needs to happen. And I'm going to make it a focus of what I do. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's evident in his work and it's, it's clearly evident in this production, I guess was the shorter answer to what I was trying to say. That's fair. And so like uh, two things I want to jump into before we talk about the, the movie itself. I'm just gonna throw this out here too. I know it's been out for a month, which is like 7,000 years in regards to streaming, but I'm gonna toss one of these. Do you know why they are called spoilers? Um, uh, long live Trebek. Maybe if this forever, anyway, um, may he be part of the old guard, please let Trebek be one of those guys. Like I would want to see him being like, the question is who kills you? The answer is who is me? Like that would be, you know, that'd be amazing. Um, <laughs> but so two things, one, talk to me about Greg Rucka a little bit more, what you know about him. Cause I am, I am not that familiar with him. 
as a comics writer and producer. Um, so I want to know about that. And then I also want to kind of get your take on um, the, the shifting perspective of direct to video or direct to streaming uh, content. Okay. Well, with Greg Rucka, um, he's a longtime comic book writer. Uh, if you're looking to other things that he's written, I'll start with some of his independent uh, comics. There was uh, Whiteout, which was, I believe, it's not IDW. It might be Top Shelf or um, I don't think it was an image comic. Long story short, it was a, a, a smaller press that's the murder uh, mystery one that comic. got turned into the Kate Beckinsale movie, right? Is that yes. It? And okay. uh, my understanding is, is that he was not really involved with that. And he's not really pleased with the way that film turned out. Okay. I have not seen the film, but I, I do know that the uh, graphic novel of it is highly praised. Um, getting into his more, um, I don't want to say celebrated work because that's shitty because it, it, it puts it on, uh, you know, the mainstream is a better word. Uh, he had written quite a bit in the DC world. He'd written Batman. He'd written um, a book called Gotham Central, which was what I believe the TV show Gotham was trying to be, but like forgot that it was Gotham Central was literally just about the police trying to get by in Gotham. It wasn't um, the villain of the week slash, um, sort I'm looking for here. The, the episodic sort of, um, uh, here's every villain in Gotham just because we can, uh, except we can't show you Batman. Gotham central was very much about, it was a police procedural. We'll put it that way. Okay. Put in the world of Gotham. No, I've, um, I've heard about that. I heard it got like uh, good reviews. It was kind of like, you know, what, what do you do with a world with like, you know, heroes and vigilantes and, and villains, but you still have to be police, you know? Yeah. And uh, on that same note, he uh, uh, had also touched on, well, I shouldn't say on that same note, but he had also written uh, Wonder Woman for quite some time with DC. And that's another one of his... Uh, more hailed runs, if you will, uh, within DC. Um, there's a lot of people who loved his, his run on wonder woman. Um, he worked on, I mean, if you look at the list of things of DC that he worked on, it's, it's a pretty long list. Everything from no man's land, which was essentially Gotham has an earthquake. What happens to Gotham when, uh, the United States is like, well, just let Gotham, be its own thing and we're not going to take care of Gotham um, to um, uh, I believe it's uh, the question uh, he worked on. Uh, oh, I, I want to say it's identity crisis, but it's not identity identity crisis. It's one of the crisis books. So he was very heavily involved in DC's big events, probably 10 years ago. Um, Oh boy, uh, I'm blanking on the name well, right no, now. But, but he's, he's, he's got a very long yeah. list of. Go ahead, sorry. No, he's an established person that has done independent works and also worked in mainstream. So Greg Rucka, which I know the name, I'm just saying, like it's one of those things. It's like you, you're much more versed in this, and you're more passionate about like 
a lot of this than I am. Not not because I don't give a shit. It's just it's like it's like I can listen to music and be like, I, I like this, and you'd be the kind of guy I'd be like, yeah, yeah, but you got to listen to the background and this, this, and this, and who does this and does this. Like you get into like like the the how. I always get into like I liked it, and I, I don't you know so. I know that like Greg Rucka is like a known commodity. Um, so, but I was not familiar with this book, uh, the old guard, um, which, you know, looks like it was published by image, which makes sense to me because it feels like this is a uh, image is the, is the right ground for something like this to take a chance, but with like a known creator. Um, so yeah, like it, so it sounds like that like Greg Rucka, this isn't just some guy being like, I wrote one comic once, or I made a series of seven movies about a guy named Ben that was bad, you know, whatever. Anyway, that's the other day. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I was taking a round way around to like trying to name all of his different works, but to say that like he's he's had a very mainstream presence for a long time. I believe now that his career he's more focused on doing creator own projects and and again, I I believe this comes from that interview with Kevin Smith and Mark Bernardin, but. Um, he had a quote about like, you know, getting a, a thanks in a big Marvel or DC movies and nice is nice, but there's something different about like owning your property and like it being made into a film and being able to have your creative, uh, input, which my understanding from that interview, he was very involved with, uh, the old guard, even to the point where he was actually on set at certain different times. Um, wonderful which is uh, sometimes rare for them to allow writers on sets which sounds crazy but uh that sometimes happens on hollywood films sometimes not always you're right so so that so the first thing is okay you gave us a good foundation for who greg rucka is and then um so clearly this is being produced through image which we talked about them previously when we talked about the documentary about what was it um uh, the image something image revolution. That was the name of the documentary. So we know that it's a good, um, it's a good stable uh, publisher to support like creators, like known and unknown. So that's good. Um, and, and based upon this film, I, I, I need to read the comics. Let's just, I'll put that out there. Uh, but that, that, that was part of the experiment with this was that you and I will know stuff about like, we will know like the secret history of whatever, and then we have these expectations or these like, you know, um, uh, benchmarks that something needs to hit if we already know the property. And I thought this would be an interesting experiment to talk about this because you have not read the comic. I've not read the comic. And I really didn't know anything about it outside of like the elevator pitch of what it was. So I think this was interesting because we overexamine everything to a fault um, because we're fans of things. And I thought it'd been nice to kind of come into a property that is established in terms, at least of comics and see how we feel about point A to point B, how we felt about the movie. I don't know if you have a point to bring up there, but I was going to bring up the other question about uh, straight to video. I don't know if you had another point to bring up. Um, it's not so much that I had a point to bring up, but I was, I was just going to say, uh, keeping that in mind, I will say maybe it's the first, 15 minutes of the movie i was settling in and sort of feeling uneasy is not the correct word but i was worried that this was going to be by the numbers because that's the way it starts out um and thankfully once we get into the heart of what's going on within the film and the story that all changes yeah but, absolutely um it just felt like an empty sort of action movie within the first 15 minutes and again that's 
it's really unfair for me to be, you know, because we're talking about going out with no expectations. But I was like, oh, you know, I, I saw this interview with him. I know that he's a writer of high esteem. And this is something he really put himself into. And as I'm watching, I'm like, wow, did they, I'm like, is it just an action movie? Because if it is, I'm going to be bored. And thankfully, it's not. Which so, I, I would give, and you've not seen this, um, I, would, I would give a counterpoint to what you're saying of being like the, oh, this is kind of interesting, but there's, there's not, like, it's kind of hollow. Um, unfortunately, I ended up seeing, um, the, the not unfortunately, I watched the other Netflix uh, original film, Polar, a while ago. That was also based upon a graphic novel. Um, that movie has style and spades, but it pisses me off the entire time. So it's, that's, that would say that's a good counterpoint to, so my trepidation about after seeing polar and how it took known actors and cool ideas and didn't do much with it. You bring some baggage into this one, but that, that, so I'm stepping on my point here. My other question to you is growing up with what you did and when, what we, what we have now, um, wasn't there a certain stigma of like, Oh, this is direct to video. Cool. Like you never, like, I, I can't think of a time before the streaming services where it's like, Oh, this is the direct to video sequel. Well, that means it's good, right? There's always been like a stigmatism about like, well, why isn't this in the theater for me to go see? Like, has that changed for you? Like over like time in terms of the streaming services? I think so. Part of it comes from um, the fact that I, I there were a lot of, and again, a lot of times direct-to-video did mean low budget, but that didn't mean bad movies. Um, I think when I look back at some movies that I would have guffawed at, say, in the mid-90s, I, I always bring up Project Metal Beast. Project Metal Beast, <laughs> by no means, is a great movie. Man, it should have got the Oscar that, that year. Would've... It should have got the Oscar. I do not know why it didn't win. <laughs> I would have never given it a second thought in the 90s, but watching it three, two or three years ago, whenever it was that I discovered it, and like being like, this is such a weird idea. It's a, a metal werewolf movie, and it takes place in, in uh, a military setting, and like, it... it <laughs> It's so like bizarre that I'm like, this is a kick-ass idea. Thinking of it in that those terms, I also thought this would make a better comic book than a movie. So I think my expectations uh, now, just regardless of budget, I think are changed in the sense that I don't view it in the same manner as like if it's gone straight to Netflix or vod or hulu or any of the streaming services at this point i don't have that expectation anymore but i also know that comes with me looking at certain things that i probably would have turned my back on years ago and having discovered and been like this is actually a really fun idea and i'm glad i experienced this and just because i couldn't see it in a theater and i had to rent it on vhs at the time doesn't exclude it it doesn't keep it from having merit or value but I realize that's also that is contingent specifically on my own experiences. But I'd say as a, a culture or as a current generation, I don't think people have that distinction anymore. I don't think that stink of being direct to video hangs around anymore. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. That's I mean, not that this wasn't a trap question. This wasn't a trick question. I, I think you and I are landing in the same spot uh, because I feel like, especially now that we have like every streaming service available, like you mentioned Peacock, we have uh, you know Netflix, Disney Plus, 
Disney Plus Plus, uh, Amazon Prime, uh, throw a dart like Shutter. They're having like exclusives now too. Apple, uh, Apple TV just put out the the Tom Hanks movie, really old man that yells at submarines or whatever it's called. Uh, you know, <laughs> which I just want to say too, real quick. I think uh, when I was giving my very awful, awful review of it on the show when I brought it up, um, I was unaware that it was based on a fictional book. Uh, but it's it's boring nonetheless. But <laughs> it's. I thought it was being factual in the sense that it was a real event. It was not. I found out later that it was a fictional event, but it's it's still plotting and, and not very interesting. So, did, did, well, did you also know that Castaway was based upon a fake story? Um, and you're like, God damn it! I thought Wilson was a real person. Ball, like he exists in my heart. <laughs> Like, like it's it's one of the it's one of the handful of Family Guy jokes that uh, makes me laugh. Where it's like my name is Spalding. Like just, you know, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, so no, I, I just feel like there was a certain stigmatism, which is funny because going back to our last episode that we did many moons ago, two weeks ago, uh, about um, you know Mask of the Phantasm, that it was originally earmarked to be a video release, and they're like, "This is great, put it in theaters." And I don't know if the notion that it was theatrical released kind of like raised the the ceiling for me a little bit on it it exceeded everything because that movie's great but you wonder a little bit right so like um there's other films that get like the like limited releases now because there's still that weird like moment of like it was in the theater like um was it two years ago uh that um uh i forget the director's name it's it's hard to say but uh the nick cage film mandy was like a like it had a couple nights in theaters and that kind mm-hmm. of gives a little bit of legi- legitimacy of like being this bonkers Nick Cage movie. Um, there's that movie that you could probably find on Netflix right now called The Void that was uh, kickstarted. Um, yeah. I saw that in Cleveland Cinemas. Like they had like a one night thing of it. And it's like, um, you know, like there's just these moments where it's like, oh, okay, well, this is here. So if it was worthy of theatrical distribution, however limited, maybe there's a little different gravity to it. I think that's all fading away. But I also think that I was I've been stuck in a certain mindset of like, oh, what's well, it's a Netflix original, maybe. But for whatever reason, when it comes to like quote unquote television, like I don't care. I'm like, cool, bring me episodic stuff. I'm not going to judge that never made to broadcast. You call it a TV show, I'll watch it. Uh, but when it comes to movies, I'm like, well, why didn't it actually get put out there? And I know there's a lot of politics. I understand that some stuff genre specific, um, and that's not. That's not me bagging on the old guard because this was actually produced by Skydance and uh, Charlie Theron's uh, company um, that I had in front of me here in a second. So there's actually like like legitimate studio production behind this, and then Netflix agreed to snap it up. So it wasn't like this was planned to be a Netflix movie. It just that Netflix sniffed it and was like, "We can we can make this work." And I'm sure that the people that were involved with the investing involved was like, "Budget seventy million." you go into advertising, you go into like, you know, marketing and all this, like what do you expect the return to be? And Netflix is probably the safe bet. That's fine. Um, me watching this in my bedroom with the sound up didn't, didn't change my opinion of the movie. It does make me wonder, um, based upon the badass action in this, I saw, uh, two of the three John wick films and they're, they're not the same. I, I, I'll say that, but, the action in this is well choreographed. There's a certain amount of bite that you may not get sitting in your house watching something as opposed to something on this large screen that just shoves in your face the entire time. 
So I feel like in one way it was, I think this film deserved a bigger screen, regardless of how big our TVs are. I'll say that. I have a, a few thoughts on that one. Going I'm wrong. Back to your, <laughs> no, no, I don't like think one. I'm wrong. wrong and two. How dare you? That's the two. Parts I think certain artists and directors now are finding a niche where, uh, they can put out a movie and it be theatrical via a fathom event or for only a week and then go to streaming. Um, you know, Rob Zombie's um, latest uh, Devil's Rejects film, uh, Three, Three from, from Hell, Hell. Yeah. that got a, uh, I think, two or three night Fathom event release. And I'm sure that the fans who supported that went to the theater. Um, and and I, I don't have a good excuse for not seeing it. I actually, of his films, Devil's Rejects is actually my favorite. So I was actually kind of excited to see the third one. Um, that notwithstanding, I'm sure that they made a good amount of money from those screenings. And I think Kevin Smith did the same thing with the latest Jay and Silent Bob reboot, where he was like, we'll put it in, you know, fathom events for one night only. We'll make some money there. And then he also went out and toured with the film. So I think the way these types of movies, particularly these genre movies, niche movies are being marketed and presented, they don't have to be like, well, it's got to be in, you know, 2000 theaters and it's got to play for six weeks. Like they're finding ways to make their money. And I, I think that that model is changing. Um, with that in mind, when you were talking about John wick, I didn't get John wick at first. Uh, when I was watching it, the first thing that popped in my mind, and this is an, a weird comparison, but do you remember the first Ben F? Well, it's the only Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. Do you remember 2003's Daredevil? Here's an admission. I've never seen it. Okay. The reason I bring it up is, is because there is a scene in that film where he and Electra are in plain clothes and they they have a fight scene that takes place on like a playground. And I remember being like, wow, it's really cool seeing the actors do this. And I know that upon like re watches of the film, I was like, Oh, that doesn't look as good as I thought it did. That doesn't look as good as I thought it did. <laughs> Watching Shirley Steeran in this film, like kick ass, like it feels whether it's her or a body double um, doing the action. The action in this is like, I'm like, I can't believe this is where we're at. And I was amazed by Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner fighting on a teeter totter. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels like it's escalated so far that I'm like, wow. This the teeter totter really was a metaphor for their future marriage and divorce. That's what that yeah. was. Uh, no, you're, <laughs> that's fair. Um, and, and, and I don't know if you've seen atomic blonde that, uh, Charlie's Theron headed that as well, which was based upon a graphic novel thing called the coldest city. I've not read that. Um, the action that's amazing. It's the movie felt kind of like flat for me. So I, you know, I, Talking about the actual Can we talk about Sorry, Can we talk ahead. about Charlize Theron real quick? Please, please. Bring, bring some has, direction to this conversation for the love no, of no, God, no. please. Just, you brought up Atomic Blonde, which I have not seen, but like she's carved out in the last like five to ten years a career where it's like she's furiosa in uh, you know uh, Mad Max. People don't want to see a Mad Max movie now. They want to see another Furiosa movie. You know what I mean? Like 
she's really like, I don't know how she's done it. I don't know if she's got somebody that, you know, an agent who's like, get Charlie's the best action films or something like that. Between this, the atomic, uh, between atomic blonde. And I guess, you know, I didn't see Aeon flux and I don't know that it's a well-regarded film, but like she's done a very good job of putting herself in these films where she's the, the action hero. And when she started acting, I don't know that I would have ever pictured that for her career. I, I, I remember her being in like the devil's uh, advocate with Keanu Reeves and oh, Al Pacino. Yeah. With um, a very thankless and, role. You're right. And then, yeah. Yeah. And she had an amazing uh, role in uh, rest of development, but we won't get into that <laughs> right now, but she's so good. <laughs> but she's, she's done a very good job of both diversifying her career and also putting herself in parts where um, not only is she the lead, but also, a kick-ass lead. So, so what's more uh, believable, her act- being an action hero or her falling in love with Seth Rogen in the long shot? What do you think is the more believable? <laughs> I haven't seen the long shot, but I'm going to probably say that's uh, harder to follow. <laughs> no, I just, like, when you think, like, so you mentioned um, oh, Whiteout earlier, the other Greg Rucka thing that has Kate Beckinsale mm-hmm. in it. Like, I think, like, and this is, this is nothing against Kate Beckinsale because I think she's certainly lovely and fine. I think Kate Beckinsale wants to be Charlie's Theron in terms of like status and like bankability. I just think that she ends up sometimes attaching herself to like franchises that don't seem to do anything. Yeah, I, I I'm a horror fan. I've not seen one Underworld movie. I just it's ugh, I saw the first one. It pissed me off. Uh, I but, mean, I, I I don't mean to like shit on that movie, but I just mean that like. For whatever reason, the underworld did not – it didn't stroke any interest from me. And I have yet to hear somebody tell me, you have to watch Underworld. <laughs> so I've never made that – you know what I mean? I've never, never made that leap. Um, I, I don't know that I could actually speak with any authority on Kate Beckinsale's career. But, well, but um, I'll also throw this out here. Mila Jovovich. I feel like they're, they're almost close enough to together, and Charlie Theron's like a step ahead of them. I feel like they're but, all trying to reach the same thing, but somehow Charlie Theron's managed her career. She actually was the one I was reading trivia about this movie while she was on the set of atomic blonde, which was based upon a graphic novel. Like I said, she was, someone handed her the old guard and, and within the first couple of pages, she's like, this could be a movie. And she was willing to produce it. She stepped in later to star in it, but she has an eye towards this. Like, 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 you know, not, I don't know in terms of like I, I, agency is the right word, but she wants to do action films and where there's a female lead and it's not like, there's no, there's no asterisk. There is no, and, but, and if I think she's very smart about that. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a hot take here. Oh no. Hot take. It's going to be, I wish it's going to be controversial. I wish I had a hot take button. I don't really have one, yeah. but yeah. Uh, Charlize Theron is a very attractive woman. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> is that your hot take? That's my hot take. And, uh, oh shit. The roles that she picks do not play upon that. In that, like, I, I want to say it's very similar to Sigourney Weaver. I mean, Sigourney Weaver is a, a gorgeous woman, but, like, I don't know, like, seeing her kick ass as Ripley. And that's, that's who I think of when I think of, you know, Sigourney Weaver. So, I, I think that uh, I think that's the other thing is that she didn't get put into the like girlfriend role, and we can talk about how 
awful Hollywood is in a lot of times with the, the roles that it offers women. But, you know, Charlize Theron has carved out a career for herself doing these different types of roles and a lot of them being action roles. And that same sort of like breath of, of you know, Sigourney Weaver or say, um, I almost called her Sarah Connor, uh, Linda Hamilton in Terminator. Where even, even like Nicole Kidman recently, she did that film Destroyer, where she completely tried to like you know make herself as like un like unapproachable as possible. Uh, but like Charlize Theron was in Monster, where like you know uh, yeah, like, yeah. I, I as you said that I was like oh my god I completely forgot Monster. Yeah. Well, even even recently she was in that movie Bombshell. It wasn't it about like uh, Roger Ailes and Fox being like a terrible place to be. So it's Charlie Theron and Margot Robbie, which um, you, you want to talk about somebody that's trying to break away from like uh, being like I uh, like the the cheesecake you know woman in tights. Like, like you've not seen the Harley Quinn film, the uh, Birds of Prey. Um, her costuming is like so against what she was in Suicide Squad a purposeful decision just to focus on the character and not her butt. Like there, there, like you see there's this trend and I like it where it's like, give me, give me the character, give me the performer. I don't need silhouettes and I don't need like, I mean, yeah, Charlie Theron's a very attractive woman and her eyes could, uh, you know, peel the paint off a house, you know, like I get it, but she's also an actress. Like there's a certain amount of that where you want that anyway, I guess. Cause it's like, I want to look at this person, I don't need her to be sexualized, but she is attractive. Absolutely. And I mean, that's actually, I think we've, we've talked at length about, um, the Mandalorian and, um, yeah, you know, his helmet can uh, take the paint off a house, you know, whatever. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I, I, I was going to say, um, Gina Carano I'm blanking on her name. Gina Carano. Yes. I was you. not blanking on her uh, name. Hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, amazingly attractive woman, uh, but I'd rather watch her kick ass. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, so I, I think that uh, it's, I don't know. I, I, I think that Charlize Theron has done just a, a great job with her um, uh, navigating those waters that I'm sure so many actresses are probably like, you know, how did you do it? Um, and it's, it's not an easy, and, and, and again, I'm not, again, another controversial hot take. It's, it's much easier for men in Hollywood than it is women. So, uh, oh, yeah, hundred thousand percent. You're right. And right. Here, here I am so, sitting here as a hobo Poseidon, you know, but I get it. You know, I can't judge, but yes. Um, I, I don't know if you had anything else to say about Charlie's Theron, but like I, I, for her to be in the in, in forefront of this, it, it, I think it's a good call. I think her character of, um, you know, the, her main character and what has to happen, like she carries it well. And, um, yeah, this this is a this is a high concept film. However, it's not it's not unfamiliar to us being genre fans. Um, mm -hmm. So um, I guess we could just get, like it is. What if soldiers were Highlanders, but also the Crow? I think that's I think that's a <laughs> I, that doesn't do a service to this film, but I think there's that mix there where it's like um, you're going to live forever to a point, uh, and you're going to deal with your sacrifices. Um, but if you stray away from your purpose, there's a certain amount of fate built into this where it feels like they're predetermined to fight this forever war. And if they walk away from it, the war is going to drag them back. So that's where I'm saying the crow, like you can get shot. You don't like it, but this is the war you have to fight. Well, I think also if we're going to get into the story proper, yeah, I think please. one of the things that the film does 
And I think, and again, this is based off of not having read the comic, but as I was watching the film unfold, I could sort of imagine in myself, imagine as I was watching it, the structure of the comic and seeing like the, the, it's not even twist, the turns that the story takes being very comic booky is not the word because people hear that and they automatically put a, uh, a detrimental or a um, negative connotation to it. I, the story, I assumed it being an action film, it was just going to be about them going on a mission and then finding out that there's something else more important in the mission and then having to complete that mission. That was the structure that I thought the movie was setting up. But what this does, very much like a very good comic book would do, is it gives you that, but then also says, well, there's more to this story, and this story isn't going where you think it is. It's going to go... It takes a pretty left swerve with who the actual villain is mm-hmm. of this piece. Yeah. And I think that that's a it's smart structurally because it lulled me in. I'll admit the first 15 minutes, I'm like, oh, man, don't let this just be another action movie. And then once it started unfolding its story, that's where I really started to get into it. Yeah. So uh, the, the basics is, is that like. Charlie Theron's character, uh, Andy, which I'm going to mess up her actual name, but she's been like, there's, there's just by uh, reasons they cannot understand. There's people that have like been like warriors, like, and it's, it's basically stated like soldiers, those serving, like serving and doing things. A handful of them of the cross time have found out that they're borderline immortal. And as they find each other, when, when, when ones are discovered, um, they can kind of sense each other out. And so Charlie Theron is her character as uh, Andy or Andrew Mache of Scythia. I'm, I'm saying that wrong. Um, she's been around forever. Uh, she leads this great, this group of like three or four people that are basically guns for hire. But, but the, the caveat is they pick the jobs that they think are worth fighting for. But now being 2020, uh, it's harder to stay in the shadows. So they're starting to be, exposed for what they are uh they can get killed and come back to life it hurts but they can regenerate uh it's very wolverine like it sucks but they can do it but along the way there's a new person uh this this young lady named nile who's serving in the uh, american military that gets killed um while serving in afghanistan and she realizes that she is different and charlie's theron finds her out and says hey you're immortal and it gets more complicated from there. And the whole, the whole crux of the movie is them trying to protect their ability to stay anonymous. It isn't a big sky hole. It isn't a big end of the world thing. Um, the stakes were personal and not like, like they, they did, they, the stakes do involve like a bigger thing, but it's about the four people in a lab, which I appreciated that it, it kept it, ground level as opposed to you have to save the world yeah i also want to say that uh, i thought it was smart and maybe this is something that rucka has planned for future installments because uh, a i think that this uh, netflix doesn't really release its you know uh it's uh, streaming statistics as far as like what things did. But my understanding is, is that this is very popular on Netflix. So 
we're probably going to see an old guard too. I hope so. So supposedly, um, this is according to Wikipedia, I'll just throw it out here to continue. Uh, okay. It was released July 10th. Um, so, you know, less than a month. Everybody, you know, give us credit. We're not a month behind. Screw you. And people didn't think that, don't screw you. Uh, it was top streamed on the site over its first weekend. It ranked second and fourth the following two weekends, which kind of follows like box office for some movies. Um, mm-hmm. So it was viewed, it was on pace to be viewed by 72 million households over its first four weeks. So it's of the top 10 most successful original launches in the platform's history. So it did good numbers for the streaming service. That's good. And, and what I was going to say was, is that, uh, you know, they don't spend a lot of time over explaining and actually they don't even know why they are the way they are. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was smart. Uh, a lot of times a story like this would be, I don't want to say bogged down by, but Certainly, they would spend a lot of time trying to explain why they are the way they are. And the mystery of it is far more interesting. And maybe Greg Rucka has a card up his sleeve. And he's like, I'm going to tell you why they're that way. And it's a brilliant move. But like, it, it's, it's far more interesting to be like, they're perplexed by it, too. They don't know. And they've had to just live with this thing of like, we're, we're not quite immortal. Uh, but we can get shot, stabbed, you know, burned and not die. And we have to just go through time this way until we can't do it anymore. Um, I thought that that was a very smart idea. And I'm glad that there wasn't like a big mythology behind it. Maybe there will be in a sequel and we'll find out and I'll be wrong. And I'll be like, oh, that makes perfect sense. But I was I was relieved that they didn't. Other lesser films, I think, might have made too much out of that. We'll put it that way. That's fair. I, I, I'd throw the crow out there because of, of like two reasons. One, Eric Draven said, I don't know. It just, I, you know, like the crow is here. I have a mission of vengeance to, you know, to that kill those that helped that killed me and my wife. Um, and I'm immortal in that sense. I can heal. And then whenever the crow dies in the film, he starts becoming very much mortal. However, the original take in that film was um, that if he strayed off the path of what he was set out to do, he could get hurt. So I felt very much like that, where it was like, I get that like the characters here did not know when their time was up, but there was a certain amount of sense of like, there was a bit where um, Andy was talking to Niall, who was the new girl where she was asking her about her past and she mentioned that her father had died in combat and service and that her mother was very fierce about everything. And then Andy was like, you come from a line of warriors. I think that's hinting at like, whatever this is, like there's a certain kind of like, like you don't have like, you know, a podcaster chosen to be a mortal. Cause who wants that? You know, but, um, you know, we can only talk. So you long. people are going to hear me for the next 50 to a hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I wanted to say on, on that topic, though, there there is it's alluded to that their existence through time has played a role in benefits to humanity. And that's actually uh, as, as somebody I, I know that this is probably two, three years ago that you wrote the column. But I, did you not write a oh, it might have actually been Joe. It was about uh, 
about strings. No, and I wrote that one. It was yeah about like my favorite uh, crazy uh, yarn boards. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 a, a bit of that in this film where we find out that that the things that have happened throughout history can be tied back to them, and whether they knew it or not at the time, they ended up benefiting my mankind. It was very and quantum I leapy. Was, I liked it. Yeah, I liked that it was a little. It, it left. It, it was mysterious. I mean, it was. Uh, I don't want to say obvious as well, but it didn't give like a direct correlation to why they exist, and I, I liked that. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of muddies the waters in the best way, but uh, so you so you end up getting a much more contemplative piece about what it means to be kind of immortal, and then also like those you lose along the way or decisions made. Um, but then basically what it is like their secrets found out by a lab that's run by, I don't know, this guy's from the Harry Potter films, but he looks like every punchable face ever of every British bad guy. I don't know this guy. <laughs> He's a very, he has a very, yeah, he, I was unfamiliar with it. He looks, while. he looks like the distant cousin of, um, all freaking, what was his name in game of Thrones? The one that cut the dick off. What was his name? Ramsey snow. Oh, he looked. Yeah, he looked like the the uglier cousin of Ramsey Snow or Ramsey Bolton. Like he didn't look too far off from that. Um. So yeah, like so he figures out these guys like are like pretty much immortal, and so then he traps them and tries to track them down. So that's the the crux of the movie is to get the people back and then also erase uh their presence. Um. In the meantime, Nile learns about her and it's an origin story in a lot of ways. And it, like, there's a lot of cool stuff here, but I like that. Like uh, it deals with, uh, and I bring up Highlander because eventually you figure out like those that you love, you'll have to leave behind. And there's a very brief moment with the character of Booker where he talks about losing his, his three kids. And then the last one who was dying of cancer, he was like, first they'll ask for like what you have and you can't give it to them. And then eventually they'll resent you. Um, I don't, did you notice who was in that bed for a half second? That was his son. This is a brief aside. Did you recognize that actor? I did not. He was the lead in the boys. Like that's that kid. That's that actor from that. I don't know if you've seen, uh, the first season, the boys. Yeah. We had actually talked about watching the boys, but I had apparently watched it like a week too late and you're like, oh. ah, we've moved on to other things. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so, the same guy. Um, like he saw him for a half second. I'm like, that's that guy from the boys. Like, okay, I guess I got to pay you to thrash around in a bed and be mad at this other guy. But no, there's the notion of like, he, you get that Booker wanted to be there, but then you realize that like the longer you stick around and you're not aging and you're healing from everything, those that you love will hate you. And it becomes this whole, like Booker becomes the cipher. Uh, is it cipher from matrix? That's his name, right? That's Joe Pantheano, right? Um, oh boy, I haven't yeah. watched The Matrix in easily 15 yeah. years, but he, I think he, that is... He becomes the one that, like, you know, sees, like, what they're trying to do, but, but gets not disillusioned, but sees, like, a potential way out. So Booker becomes that one that you get, like, the monologue from that you're like, God, this guy is... This guy's hurting for like the couple hundred years he's carried this burden. And so he's kind of the emotional anchor for like a little bit until you realize that like, you know, um, what he did. So anyway. Yeah, I, I think that uh, um, in that regard, um, he's the villain, but he's not the villain. He's he's he, Benedict Arnold, I guess, maybe might be a better. Benedict but Cumberbatch, yeah. At the yeah. same time, 
Yes. <laughs> but at the same time, his goal, he thinks, is twofold. He thinks that he's going to give Charlize Theron's character an answer to when will it end and also benefit mankind. So he's not one note. Um, and I thought that was also interesting, uh, interestingly enough, for uh, Chiwetel Elijahfor, um, who plays Copley or Copley in the film, uh, being villain but not a villain he's he's somebody who talks about having lost his wife and how his wife you know towards the end he couldn't even have a conversation with her he could she couldn't even talk and uh her just being ravaged ravaged by illness and him discovering that all this exists and that, that it could be a possibility to help other people he's not looking at it from like a our main villain is looking at it from a perspective, I think, in some aspects of it being a financial boon in a way to offer something to the world that hadn't existed. But he's really he's doing awful shit, but he thinks it's going to benefit the, the greater good. And it was interesting to see villains who are a little bit more layered in that respect. Yeah, which which is like interesting because you got um, you know um, scientist Ramsey Snow Jr. over there, and then you also have uh, what was her name? Um, oh, Elizabeth uh, something. The, the 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 lead of Theranos, who was the the scientist. Uh, um, Speaking of which, if you people have not watched the documentary on Theranos on uh, HBO. Uh, HBO, it's quite good. Yeah, it is messed up. <laughs> like uh, it's, yeah. it's horrifying and good at the same time. Yeah, so you got Dr. Elizabeth Holmes and uh Ramsey Snow working uh, you know, the science angle there. Um they're clear cut villains. They they absolutely yeah. are. There's not and it's it's the but but yeah, you're 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 right. Like they but the, everybody else is a little like they have their motivations, they're not it gets murky, which I think is kind of also one of the things talking about like the consequence of actions and the decisions you make right now your perspective about those decisions that you make will change over time. And what do you do when you have all the time in the world until you don't like I, there is like, I liked, I liked that. It was like when your time's up, your time's up. And they, they showed like, you know, back in the past and brief flashbacks of like one person that didn't quite make it. And then another person, which was put in like the worst possible situation ever for being borderline immortal. Like, um, so here, 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 I'll mention this. I was reading about this, uh, that character. So, um, uh, there, there was, sorry, go ahead. You're about to say something. No, no, I wasn't actually, uh, the, the character of, uh, Quinn, um, and I'm saying her name wrong, but, uh, Veronica, uh, new, no, it's NGO. It's, it's Vietnamese. Um, in the comic, uh, that character, which had a different name, different nationality, and they made it a point to change it all for the film because it, the actress was not from that part of the world. Respect that. In the comic, she had been lost being tossed like from a storm on a ship, and then she was lost at sea. Uh, it, it was actually the director. It was uh, Gina Pierce uh, uh, by Bythewood who suggested like the Iron Maiden and to be dropped in the, the ocean, which to me is uh. like way darker like you got this immortal that's going to drown and drown and drown and just be lost it's like that to me was like the most like horrific thing in the movie of being like we don't know how this person keeps coming back alive we're just going to throw her in this metal box to the bottom of the ocean and you were done 
And then you see that Danny's character, she admits that after a while she stopped looking. That's going to be something that follows her no matter how long she lives. And that to me gave, I don't know, it gave more weight, no pun intended, to her burden and also her importance of never wanting to leave anybody else behind. I, I, I just, my God, that was it, was, it was amazing motivation and it made me on her side, regardless of how many times she just utterly destroyed people in a church. And I think also, you know, we're now built to look for the end credit scene. Now, admittedly, this isn't an end credit scene, but at the end of the film, we get a piece of where that character is now. Um, and it, it begs for a sequel um, because it's something that uh, Charlene Ther- Charlize Theron's Andy has had to deal with for a very long time. And us as the audience, we think that that is the end of that character. Spoilers. It appears that it is not. No. Um, and uh, boy, oh boy. Um, that was, that was a perfect ending to uh, uh, the film where I was like, I want more. Yes, please. I just, <laughs> can I have more porridge, sir, please? Um, I, I would, I definitely want to see more from this, but I, I, I know that we're jumping all over the place cause that's what we do. Um, and I, I, there's a moment that happens in the film that I think is so wonderful and it has nothing to do with the action. It has nothing to do with the overall story. I know what you're talking about. And it's an important part of the film that cements like them and the group of them and the particularly two people. I think what you're about to talk about. Right. It, 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 the characters of, I believe it's Joe and Nikki, um, have been captured by uh, Merrick, who is the villain of the piece, who wants to experiment on him. And his soldiers are sort of... They're, they're picking at them and making fun of them, and one of them goes out of his way to, to make a point about, like, oh, what? why do you care about this other guy so much? What is he, your boyfriend? And it's, it's so shittily said, so awfully derided, uh, are delivered and the character then gives this wonderful speech, but how much that other person means to him and the soldiers who are, are, and I'm not doing it justice at all by describing it. The soldiers who are around him are just sort of like, they don't know what to say because he's just like, this person needs more to me than any, anyone ever possibly could. Yeah. This Joe goes my, into like, you guys cannot possibly comprehend Right. This person and how much he means to me. And I want to make sure he's okay. So yeah, make fun of me. You do not understand. And basically he was like saying, we'll be around after you're dead. And my caring about him is more important than anything going on right now. And there's that pause. And then they start pulling everybody. Cause like, cause like, uh, what was it? Um, um, uh, Nikki wakes up and then they kiss and then everything. Yeah. Like, oh, guys kiss. No. And then like the squat guys pull them apart. It's like, so will you be happy to know that Greg Rucka said, um, I will sell the rights. to This as a movie. This scene is, needs to be in the movie. That was part of his deal to make sure that their relationship in this sequence in particular had to be in the film. So I didn't know that it's a great scene. Yeah. It's, it's the scene that we don't get in the action movies. Cause if, had this been die hard, the character would have just made a quip about like, Oh no, he's your boyfriend. <laughs> you know, like it would have been some sort of like dismissive 
thing, and man, oh man, does it really it 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 hits home who those characters are, but it also puts a button on a scene that would have been terribly handled in very in a lot of lesser films. We'll put it that well, way. Even like later when they're stuck in the lab and like they're just getting like pulled apart, which it's like. So I just want to point out like their hideout is a church in in uh, France that's near Paris that this church has been abandoned because it's like right under a flight path for like a major airline or airport. So like this, this place is constantly buzzed with air, you know, planes after planes after planes. And so, uh, Niall, who's there with them that night in the safe house, basically everyone else is like, just, just dead asleep because it's like the, the horrors they've seen and doing combat endlessly for hundreds of years. In the case of Andy, probably thousands of years, Planes flying overhead means nothing, right? So that's a great touch that's implied like these guys can just like fall asleep at the drop of a hat because they don't know what's coming next and plane noises won't bother them. I thought that was important, but then they get to the whole sequence too of how um, they met each other and you find out that Joe and Nikki faced each other as um, as as a Muslim and as like an Anglo-Saxon in the Crusades. Yeah. And they killed each other repeatedly. Like... And then eventually like fell in love. It's like, I don't think you would get that context. I don't think you would get that in a different movie. I think, I think uh, other studios would be afraid of that. Um, like with it being like, we talked about like direct, like direct to video streaming, quote unquote. I think you can let a lot of this breathe without like drawing ire because it'd be like, oh, it's a streaming service. What are they going to do? Versus like our kids could see this in a theater by accident with an R rated film, you know? I, I, it was, I hate using the word brave. It is overdue. And I dug all of that. Yeah. I, I, I struggle to describe it, but I think it's just, it's, it's wonderfully written and it's, it's why it, why you make this movie. If you've got somebody like Greg Rucka's perspective. And I, I think that that's, I, I didn't know that about uh, him saying the scene has to say, but it's a standout scene in the film. Um, and it's, it's not an action beat. It's not a, cause there's great action in this movie too. Like I, I'm not trying to take away from that, but like um, it's a wonderful character moment as, as somebody who, when I watch films, I, I find myself far more involved with character than I am plot. Most of the time it, it was, it was great to have a, a moment that happened that I a didn't see coming, but B uh, exceeded my expectations of what this type of film can do. Yeah. So the, to, to give a little bit of context, this is an IMDb trivia. Uh, take it for what's worth. Um, after screening the testing of uh, Marwan uh, Kanzari and uh, Luca Marinelli, those are the two actors uh, to check out their, the chemistry together. Charlie Theron and Greg Rucka were certain that the monologue that Joe delivers about Nikki, Nikki not being his boyfriend would be done. Honestly, according to Theron, Marwan's performance felt so guttural. It came from such a deep place within him. It was undeniable. He just sold it really feeling that way. And I know these two guys were cast, um, together cause they had to watch their chemistry to make sure that you bought them as a couple. Uh, and you get it like you get like there's this love. And even like I talked about them being in the hospital room together, being torn apart. And that was my point earlier. I lost it. Like they're just being like, you know, like samples being pulled, being jabbed and poked. They're still kind of giving each other shit and also remembering like the good times. It's like, yeah, sitting in a hospital bed, getting poked and prodded 
is not nearly as bad as the things they put up with. You almost get the sense of like, all right, we're going to wait this out. And we're going to be the next thing. Like you get that kind of notion of like, <laughs> this is awkward. Can we'll get out of here because we're together. And I, I loved that comfort amongst the both of them. Yeah. I thought it was a, a bold move to have that type of scene within the film. And I, 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 I loved those characters uh, and the way they developed throughout the film. I, I, Again, I, I don't want to sit here and, and keep iterating the same point, but that's what we do here. I, I well, no, I I don't want to go into um, spectacle too much, but I I think of like for instance, we we long ago uh, spent some time talking about the Mission Impossible films, and while I think those films are great on spectacle, they're not always great on character. Um, and look at you with all the hot takes tonight. <laughs> I know it was just it was refreshing to get that and actually you know um, looking at other characters in the film I thought uh, um, Niall was I thought that her being the new character who's, who's learning that she is one of these immortals and her perspective was also interesting because she's a soldier she's somebody who's been trained to give her life for her country and she does at one point un, un, unintentionally in a way um, and she doesn't know that she can come back but uh, it's 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 an interesting take on different uh, I was going to say prototypes but that's not the word um, character types I okay. guess is Archety- a better way archetypes. of putting it archetypes yeah. thank you I, I get to the word a half hour from now, but thank you. Uh, Steve is the writer <laughs> of a comic book and he uses words all the time. Uh, but just let you guys it know. It takes he- me very long to write. Um, <laughs> that said, like, I, I, you know, there are moments in the film that are, are really wonderful as she's discovering what they are. Um, there's a great scene in, in, in an airplane where uh, she waits for Charlie's Theron to like fall asleep and then ties her up. And then when Charlie's Theron wakes up, she's, you know, uh, looks at her and the the character of Niall is trying to get the pilot to land the plane. And Charlie's Theron has this just sort of, I don't know, uh, assurance about her in the sense that, like, she's in control of the situation, even though she's tied up. And her ultimate gamble is just like, well, let's crash the plane. Who cares? We're both immortal. It yeah. doesn't matter. But even like, that even that sequence actually pays off like later in the film, like actually really well. Like there, like you know, like it's something that was like foreshadowed that I didn't even know it was going to be foreshadowed until the very end. So that that was solid. You're right. Like I I liked that. I liked. Yeah, the characters are solid. I just you know like, but the action too. Like not like just some of the choreography in this was like amazing. Like there were some really badass things that happened. And I feel like any film that has any inkling of action now needs to step its game out game up to make me feel appreciative because you can have a shootout and make it chaotic, but the choreography of the gunplay and just like every, it's so matter of fact at times it's amazing. And anytime Charlie Theron uses an ax to step back, it is a thing to behold. Yeah, it's funny, too, because I realized, you know, it's a two hour film and there's only so much they can do. But, you know, where whatever they do with this, this next film, give me a flashback of 20 minutes of Charlie's Theron just 
beating dudes with an axe. Because, like, <laughs> we get a little bit of that in this film. Uh, but I, there's a couple of flashbacks that happen uh, with her using the axe where I'm just like, man, I could watch. I could watch, <laughs> you know. And I realize also that I'm saying this in tandem where I'm talking about how uh, the film, you know, does a great job of giving us character over style and action. But boy, oh boy, I, I once I bought into the character, I was all about like, I could watch another 20 minutes of her just taking out dudes with the axes. So it'd be great. Supposedly the name she says of her, which I'm, I can't pronounce right because I'm not good, translates roughly to fighter of men. I need to see, I need that um, uh, Clan McLeod moment of her the first time that she dies on the battlefield. Like I need that because, you know, like I want that moment of like, Oh shit, what's going on? Like type of thing, because like you mentioned Highlander, like, well, I mentioned Highlander, you mentioned Highlander. Like, what am I talking about? But you get that vibe too. Like you get that there, there's a bit in Highlander too, which no one will ever talk about ever again, where, um, uh, McLeod and, uh, Ramirez, which is Sean Connery, they're talking about the number of bullets they took and they kind of shake it off you almost kind of get that vibe from these guys where it's like, Oh, that sucked. Yeah. God damn it. This ruined my shirt. Like type of thing at times. <laughs> like, you get that. And I dug that, but I also, I dealt with, there was the fragility of like, like there's a bit where she's talking to Nile, but like, Nile's like, why'd you do this to me? And she's like, you're too new. So she knew that there was the elasticity of this, but she didn't know the end point of it. That's a, that's a great line. Actually. I, I wish I'd have thought of that earlier. Yeah. The you're too new line is is a really wonderful line and it, it it's very simple and as somebody who overwrites and over talks things it's a four letter you know or i'm sorry four word sentence that explains a lot and not only to the audience but also to the character it's yeah when it pays uh, off I, what now does later like for her big sacrifice quote unquote right where it's like all right, well, I know I can do this, so I'm going to go like full tilt and see what happens, right? So, yeah, this was this was a solid film. I know we keep dancing around some of the other moments. It's it's worthy of watching, and I, you know, I I don't want to say I slept on this because it's only about for a month, so it isn't like we're like three, seven, ten, twenty years later. Um, you know, if you have the ability to watch this film on a bigger screen, like I watched it on, like we we have a we we have been uh, fortunate enough to move into a house in which they gave us a large TV, but then the TV that was already large that we have is not in our bedroom. I ended up watching this in my bedroom with the sound up, and it you know it it, it felt epic enough. I I still wish this is something. I think I think a theatrical presentation of this would. I think I think anytime you watch a movie for the first time. Um, I think time and place is important. Like seeing Fury Road in the theater was important. Watching Fury Road on a smaller screen, I think robs some of the scale of it. I'm not saying this is as grand or epic, but I think a bigger screen would have benefited it. Um, however, I, I enjoyed this film a great deal to be, to be fair though. The first time I saw dread, uh, the film with, um, it's, uh, Carl Urban. Carl Urban is dread. I saw it on like a TV. I didn't see it in the theater because I was a piece of shit and for like I didn't support that movie. And I feel like that's a great regret in terms of like watching it a movie. That movie still hit me hard. 
it deserved a theatrical viewing, but I still loved it watching on the screen that I saw it. Right. And like the two raid films that I know you, you're not for that familiar with, but watching them on a smaller screen, I feel like I owe that film, those films a bigger debt to see them on a bigger screen. The old guard should have been seen on a bigger screen. I, I don't know how successful it would have been in the mix of it, had there not been a, an outbreak and people not being assholes and not wearing masks, I don't know how well this would have scored versus everything else going on. I think that's fair. I look at something like uh, Bird Box, which just happened to be made at the same time uh, as The Quiet Place. And even though they're different senses, one is being able to hear and the other one is uh, being able to see. They're very similar in a lot of aspects, and I know that Bird Box, A, it benefited from Quiet Place being out there, but I think had Bird Box gone to the theater after Quiet Place, it wouldn't have done as well, but it blew up on Netflix, and I think that that's the advantage that this film has, is that it, it it's there's nothing else like it right now, and so it goes to streaming, and maybe while it might have gotten... I don't want to say eaten up by your mainstream fare that would have come out during the summer. I think it certainly gave it a chance to sing and for a lot of people to view it. And I I'm, I'm in like, if there's an old guard too, I'm, I'm watching it as soon as it comes out and hopefully there's multiple, uh, you know, stories that are going to come out from this. So, yeah. and, and so to, to go back to our thesis, uh, which I didn't really state correctly Wait, all the way at the beginning. We have a thesis. Yeah. The thesis is, can we get a podcast in 90 minutes? And the thesis was disproven over and over and over again. No, um, if it's 90 minutes, we mean we talk about our weekends and me falling down in the basement. Yes. But after that, no. Um, so, um, if this was that we know this is a known property that's based upon a, a series of comics, like, do, do we believe that we got enough in terms of what was being presented as story as characters, as an arc that it was successful on its own, that not only isn't making a satisfying movie. Cause if I never read the old guard comic, which I want to correct, is this a film that I want to watch again? Yes. I want to watch this movie again. I really dug it. I thought this movie was wonderful and the quiet and, I, and let me, we didn't even talk about like the music selections. It is very um, odd. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. Some of the music that was used for the action and other bits, like whenever Nile goes to try to like settle down and puts her, puts her headphones in after she we didn't even talk about like uh, her being ostracized from the military because she woke back up after getting her neck cut open and her friend said looking at her weird. We didn't even get into that. But there's a track that plays. I, I I read about this. It's from an artist named Frank Ocean, which I know of. I don't know his music that well. Uh, is amazing. And there's other music beats in this film that I do not think you would find in your typical um, action fair. Like, I think maybe now with some of the MCU movies, they've been giving a little bit more leeway about things that go on because like Black Panther showed that they can come out swinging with a lot of different artists. But you know, I don't think it's the norm. I think it's still an aberration. There's a lot of cool music in this movie. And I don't know if that's necessarily the music that a lot of people reach for, for this film. Um, I'm excited to watch this again. Um, I'm going to give it some space because I don't know. I, I have a hard time watching things back to back to back unless it's, uh, John Carpenter's the thing or Spider-Man into the spider verse. <laughs> That's about where I'm at. 
um, or Hot Rod because it's an amazing film. Um, but this is one that I could easily see myself coming back to multiple times because I dug it. I thought this was a cool movie. Well, it, it's funny, and I don't want to turn this into a because uh, we're wrapping up here. I don't want to turn this into a soundtrack discussion, but um, you know, you mentioned Black Panther. But I think also going back to Gunn's uh, soundtrack for Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, mm-hmm. and even the second one, and and uh, you mentioned Into the Spider Verse, like those are soundtracks that feel tailored to the film, and I, I get that with this film as well. I think that the use of music in this film is very important. I think it, it conveys character. I think it it conveys um, emotion and adds tension to scenes. So I, I think it's a smart way of doing it. And I, I, you know, you get, you get those. And again, I, I really don't want to shit on suicide, suicide squad, but like suicide squad felt like it was, um, at least it's music choices were chosen, but not really scatterbrained to the, yeah, they were scatterbrained, not integral to the story. With this, I feel like they're very intentional. Whether they are or not, that's for you know the people behind it to, to say. But like it, it feels very much in line with something along the lines of, like you said, Black Panther, Into the Spider Verse, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. So yeah, I mean, maybe not because uh, I feel like the bulk of those movies was like a lot more, but there's still so many good music cues in this film, and it's solid. So yes, yeah. anyway, the old guard. Is great. You guys have probably watched this before we watched it, but it passes um, the litmus test of a movie that's based upon source material that we've not seen that makes us like the movie and then makes us excited for the source material. Like I want to seek out uh, the old garden, read it, and um, uh, you know, what, you know what sucks. I'm sorry. I just integrate. I just no, what su- I don't know what sucks is people's patience with us recording no. an episode that's going to go into three hours. No, I, I apologize. Woo! I just Woo! I had the thought of like, oh man, you know what would be kick ass if they made an alien movie with Charlize Theron, and then I remembered she's in Prometheus. Damn it! All right, go on. Wait, yeah, she is. Oh God, you're yeah. right. Oh. She's completely wasted in that movie. Now that I think about it, you're so right. I is. apologize. Yeah, she gets crushed by a rolling donut. That's yeah. bad. All right, I, I let's just edit that out. I apologize, <laughs> and we're not. So, all right, the old guard recommended highly. Um, it's it's currently if you have a Netflix subscription, you don't have to pay extra for it. You can watch it. I'm gonna keep bringing that up. You don't have to pay three dollars for it, like it was Bad Ben to watch the film. Um, it's worth your time if you've not seen it. I feel like even if we spoiled some of this, I feel like it's Highlander, but not. That's not really a spoiler. We didn't really get in. Like we talked about some of the twists and turns of the characters. It's a cool movie. Some of the action sequences, like when I mentioned her in a church is badass, So good. And then later when they're exiting, um, attempting to exit the Merrick building, there's a bit between Joe and Nikki where like they're in sync with each other in regards to how they're fighting. It's so great. I love it so much. And good action done. Well, is just bliss. And this film has some, it, 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 it's not, it's not like, it's not, um, wall to wall action. It's not John wick. It's not, um, the night comes for us. Uh, it's not the raid. It's not dread, but when it gets into it and when it gets down and dirty, it is handled really, really well. And it makes, it definitely is worth the price of admission. 
I can't I can't disagree with any of those things that you just said. I would just say that as somebody who, uh, like I said, values character sometimes more than story. Uh, this has got character in spades, so give it a, give it a watch. There we go. So let's go do it for our discussion about the old guard. I uh, hope you guys check it out. I hope you enjoy our conversation about it. Watch the movie. I mean, it's two hours. Um, you know, you could do worse. You could just watch seven episodes of Parks and Rec again, which you should, but give it a chance if you've not seen it. If you have Netflix or if you have a friend's Netflix or a family's Netflix, watch it again. Um, I, I get locked out sometimes of my account and it frustrates me because we've spread that shit out to everybody and I do not know what's watching my Netflix and I hate I don't want to pay for the multiple screens upgrade. So I have to send text out and be like, who's watching Netflix right now? And every so often I'll get an admission of who's watching it. And then, yeah, sorry. You're about, you're about to say something about spreading out passwords. No, no, not at all. I just, uh, uh, I was just going to say that uh, every time I watch parks and rec, I'm reminded that Leslie Nope is unfortunately a fictional character and wish she was running our country. That's it. Yeah, her and I mean, and now I, I'd even take Ron Swanson like untethered. I'd take that. I'd take. I'd take. Yes. I would take a, a Gary Jerry Gergich right now. That'd be fine. So, <laughs> uh, you guys can find us on our Facebook it's Invasion of the Podcast. We have a blog ish. Uh, if you want to go back and read my uh, was it top five uh, movies or TV shows with strings? It's one of the like string walls, which uh, the old guard has. Um, I have some fun stuff there, so check it out. It's invasionofthepodcast.com. I keep tossing about making another blog entry, and then the weekend disappears, and I'm like, oh, shit, and I don't do anything because I'm playing video games. That's what's happening. Uh, and drinking beers and falling down in my basement. That's the things that happen, so just deal with it. Uh, you guys can find us uh, wherever you find your podcast, whether it be uh, Google Music, which uh, I know they're changing how people find that there, but again, Google uh, music or podcasts, however they do it, you guys can find us there. Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, uh, Podcatcher, uh, Pod Attic, um, you know, uh, d- d- Farmers Only. I don't know where you find your podcast. Uh, Grinder, uh, Tinder. Find find us, rate and review us. It'd be greatly appreciated. I'll be honest. If we're on Tinder, my wife is going to be mad. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, um, I mean, I mean, we like we're on Bumble, but we just got to wait for people to come to us. But yeah, and and Steve, how can people find you and your your words that you use? Uh, you can find me on the Saturday Night Slasher dot com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher. Uh, and if you're somebody who uses Twitter, I I feel like I'm that's the one place that I don't put enough attention. But uh, if you're looking for us on Twitter, it's uh, the Saturday Slasher dot. Uh, yeah, at the Saturday Slasher. Sorry, on Twitter. Perfect. All right. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, I don't know. We got a game here. It's about uh, shows that may or may not be back because Steve has a particular, um, he has something in his craw about a revival, and we'll figure that out and we'll get to the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. So, um, Steve has something stuck in his craw about some information he learned over the course of the weekend. And I don't disagree with him, but Steve, please tell us what has frustrated you and that has been the cause for this game. 
I like how, how it's you almost make it sound like it's some sort of confidential information that only a few insiders have. Yeah, uh, but another uh, hot take. It's three hot takes coming in tonight. Just... <laughs> it's been announced that uh, who's the boss is uh, being uh, revived with uh, both Alyssa Milano and Tony Danza resuming their roles as uh, Tony because he he can't act under another name. Um, <laughs> And Samantha uh, living together, and I believe her, him take, helping her with her adult children or her children, uh, whatever ages they may be. Um, and uh, my particular take on it was just a that we've now officially hit the bottom of nostalgia TV uh, revivals. God willing, I'm sure there's something out there that's probably even worse that is waiting to be sprung upon us. Oh but no, there, there was Fuller House that's already existed. I just, I just don't know who this is for. Like who, who is really dying to revisit Who's the Boss? So, I mean, other than Abed and Deer, who <laughs> settled the case in Community of who the boss was uh, in one of the episodes. I don't know if you remember him taking that class on uh, television. Yeah, I know. Uh, no, okay. you're right. Um, I remember we also took the class on like Nick Cage being like a serious or not serious actor. Um, yes. So can I can I toss something out to you? One, what's Catherine Hellman doing anymore? She's dead. Um, but oh. but um, she was Mona or Moner if you're Tony Danza. Mona Robinson. She passed away. And I looked. At, I just googled this real quick. Right. So you got Tony Danza as Tony Maselli, uh, Alyssa Mazzano, Milano. Um, as uh, Samantha Maselli, Judith Light, who's still around, by the way, as Angela Bauer, Danny Pataro, uh, who was Jonathan Bauer, you throw him a bone. But I just want to point out that I saw the, the cast listing here, Candace Cameron Bure as young Mona. So they did a flashback of her as a kid. So you actually have um, uh. DJ Tanner from Full House that was a young Mona, which I'm not... A- like, okay, this episode's already two and a half hours long. I'm just going to throw this out here. I, I'm not against Candace Cameron Bure. Do you, do, you, do you know, like, she's she married, I think it's Daniel Bure, who is a hockey player, like a like a, like a established hockey player. That's fine. I'm, whatever. It is what it is. She does a lot of those pure flicks, like, faith movies. So um, I did not realize that she was part of the initial cat, like, th- like the original run. How many flashback Mona episodes did you have? And um, who's the boss? I, I would think one, right? Like, I would agree with that. But anyway, so so the game that you have for us tonight. <laughs> I thought we were going somewhere else. I, I right. just want to just mention and just whatever. Anyway, so uh, you you you're presenting to me like TV revivals, and again, that, yeah, that wasn't you, a noise. You have to tell me if these are real or not. Basically, okay. is this a real TV revival or something that I made up in my sick, depraved if brain? If you would have said 72 hours ago, who's the boss? I'd have been like, that's bullshit. You know, so. Yeah, I mean. Why? I, 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 Why? It just, it, it, I, I, I want to compile a list of shows that I think should be revived. And like, 
you know, who's the boss? Wouldn't have even made it in the top 100, maybe? Like, I don't know. Is Tony Maselli still living in his van when he pulls up to the house? But <laughs> but Tony Danz has been doing okay for himself. Alyssa Milano has certainly been doing okay for herself. Well, I mean, my wife pointed out that apparently the two of them have very different different political views. And she's like, I don't oh, know how that's, that's going to work. No, I but think Alyssa Milano was at the, uh, the Kavanaugh um, confirmation hearing. So I think she was in the background. Because she actually got in there and had her, she has an opinion. So yes, yeah. And uh, I just am like, I don't know. I'm like, somebody thinks this is a good idea. I, I don't know. I, I in a world where uh, we can't get that uh, community movie, uh, this just doesn't make <laughs> sense to me. So that's fair. Yes. All right. So the first one here, this one, I'm gonna say this is a gimme, but uh, the Adam West Batman. I don't know if you knew this or not. The show was canceled uh, by ABC. However, they decided to sell the rights to NBC instead of canceling the show outright. Uh, what happened, though, was is that an ABC exec goofed and had the sets destroyed when they were trying to pitch the show to NBC to take it over. And uh, because the sets were destroyed, NBC didn't want to pay to have to have those sets rebuilt. And the show was not picked up for its revival, which would have happened in 1968, I believe. Is that is that real or false? Is that a you a said real it's a gimme? And knowing that there was a Batman film, so I'm going to guess that a lot of the stuff preserved. I'm going to say that was fake. No, that was real. What um, you said it was a gimme? I just assumed that was a fake one. Okay, please. <laughs> no, uh, what's funny is is that uh, yeah. W- the show was still doing well, but it wasn't doing as well enough as ABC would have liked. And NBC was like, we'll take it. And they're like, great. And then when NBC find out that they destroyed the sets, they're like, well, we don't want to spend the money to rebuild the sets. So we're not picking it up. So there would have been another season of Batman in 1968. I think it was, uh, except, uh, some foolish exact destroyed the sets before they should have. Okay, I did not know that. So yeah, I, I just assumed that was common, common knowledge. So, uh, all right. Well, uh, the next one here is uh, a revival of Miami Vice. Now, this is taking out of account that there's been a film with Jamie Farr and um, Colin Farrell. Uh, Colin, yeah, Colin Farrell that no one saw or cares about. Um, <laughs> but this is an upcoming television revival. It hasn't happened yet. It's supposed to be. It was actually supposed to happen this year. It was going to be produced by Vin Diesel for NBC, and the series was going to be a co-production with a gentleman by the name of Chris Morgan, who has written six of the Fast and Furious films, which is surprising to me, because I would have thought a monkey uh, with a typewriter would have written uh, the, the Fast and Furious series. I kid, I kid, I haven't seen any of them, I don't know. Um, but the script is supposed to be set uh, in current times, but based on the original series. And it's going to be Vin, Vin Diesel with this gentleman who wrote the, the Fast and Furious series producing. Is that real or fake? That's real. That feels so real. Yeah, that is real. Um, it, I think it's funny because the only other thing that I could find about it was uh, Don Johnson saying, I don't understand how you do that today. He's like, Miami Vice was so much of like the 80s. Like, it was very much of its time. Just doing it now. Don Johnson was saying it was like, we don't think we can find that much cocaine. I think that's what he was saying. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it is one of those iconic 80 shows that it just, uh, you know, it's like, how does that even make sense doing it today? 
Okay, so this next one here. Um, three's company two, and two is spelled T-W-O. All right, so this would have taken place in 1994, which was going to be 10 years after the failure of Three's a Crowd. Now, I don't know if you watched Three's, a Com- Three's Company back in the day. They tried to spin off Jack and his newly uh, married wife into their own series that was titled Three's a Crowd. Uh, it was about him, his wife, and his now father-in-law. Um, series did not last very long. Um, however, 10 years later, they decided to re-examine Three's Company, and the revival was going to be a newly divorced Jack Tripper uh, rekindling his friendship with Chrissy, who had recently moved back to Santa Monica after her father's death. The two of them were going to be unable to find a place to live. However, they reached out to Mr. Furley to see if there was an apartment available, and the only apartment available was his. So it was going to be Mr. Furley, Chrissy, and Jack Tripper all living in the same apartment. Hilarity was going to ensue. Both John Ritter and Suzanne Summers were committed to do the series. Suzanne Summers, however, was on a show called Step by Step at the time and was going to uh, film the show in her downtime from Step by Step. Uh, ultimately, it never materialized. Um, but do you think this was a real TV revival or fake? Oh, well, Mr. Furley was Don Knotts, right? Yes, that's correct. Well, then I want more Don Knotts. I want this to be a real TV show. It was it was fake. I made that up, but I I thought I came up with a pretty good no! premise. Of, uh, yeah, yeah. Like I, it's fine. Like you know, <laughs> I want to see Don Knotts using a thigh master and it just like pop out of his thighs and smack him in the head. You know, that's what I wanted. Well, it's funny too because uh, I, I uh, had just recently revisited on Amazon Prime. There's a movie. That uh, John Ritter and Pam Dauber, who was Mindy on Mork and Minnie, did uh, about a, a television that uh, Jack Ritter gets that uh, Stay tuned. Has, stay ha- tuned. Wow, you know this already. Yeah, huh? it has the satellite that is, uh, they signed a deal for like cable, but it was like satanic cable, right? Yeah, yeah. They end up on a, he ends up on a uh, fake version of... Uh, uh, Wayne's World, I think it was called, called Dwayne's, Dwayne's Underworld. Underworld. Yes, yeah, uh, it's not a great movie, but boy, oh boy, I gotta, I gotta give Jack, Jack, Jack Ritter, John Ritter, some credit, man. Like he really was uh, a comedy icon. Like he really committed to things that he did. Yeah, and it buzzed me out. He he gone too soon, and like that was it. The two times he was the Scrubs, he was great. Yeah, there, yeah. yeah uh, he was amazing. And it's funny now looking at him now. I, I don't think I saw it at the time. But looking at pictures of Zach Braff and, and John Renner, I'm like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense that he'd be his father. <laughs> he's starting to, you know, no, Zach Braff's in uh, John Renner territory. Let's just, let's yeah. just be honest. He's, <laughs> he needs that big beard. You're right. All righty. So this next one here, um, the Munsters. Now, before I, I begin with this, I will just say Munsters have been rebooted numerous times. Uh, there was a, a time in the 80s. It actually ran for four seasons. It was called The Munsters Today. Um, and that was a syndicated show. Um, and then again in 2012, Brian Fuller, are you familiar with Brian Fuller by chance? Yeah. Um, I'm going to stop you right now. He shot a pilot that had Eddie Izzard as, um, a werewolf and, um, mm-hmm. was it Brad? So-and-so from, uh, everybody loves Raymond was Herman Munster. If I remember right. Um, is that right? I think that's right. 
Um, You're half right. Uh, I believe uh, Jerry O'Connell. That's was, right. Okay, okay. Yeah, it was it was a pilot that actually got aired, but they didn't go forward with it. But Brad Fuller went on to do. Uh, he ended up being like the showrunner for half second on Star Trek Discovery, and then create differences. So every time Brad Fuller does anything, there's create differences, and he moves on. Well, he he was on Hannibal, uh, which many people yeah, loved. I, I have not watched, um, but I've heard it's I need amazing. To watch it, yeah. Um, but, uh, so yes, that was called Mockingburn Lane Yes, and they released the, the pilot as a TV movie, if you will. Um, and I remember watching it at the time and, and, uh, uh, being like, yeah, it's not bad. I would have been interested to see more of this, but, That's uh, fair. so, but Eddie Izzard was a werewolf in that, if I remember right. Like, he was grandpa actually. Yeah. Sorry. So he was a vampire, but not a werewolf. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I, yeah. Got my uh, monsters wrong, but uh, yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Well, apparently there's another reboot of the series in the works. Uh, you can't keep a good monster down. Uh, comedian Seth Myers, as you would know from Saturday Night Live or his, from his show Late Night with Seth Myers, is currently working on the reboot. And basically what it would do is, is it would transplant America's first family of fright from their old California suburb into the hipster playground of Brooklyn, New York. Is that real or fake? <laughs> that sounds real. Yeah, that one's real. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've been watching uh, Seth Meyers recently, like with his uh, like remote like um, like bits he's been doing. I don't know if you've been watching any of this. It's amazing. I've watched a few. Yeah. Well, because um, he was originally in his attic of his house, and there was a whole thing um, where like he had like, a copy of the Thornbirds in the background and they kept like multiplying and getting weird. But there was a bit where there's a little door. It was this weird shaped door behind him that like, you know, things would happen sometimes. But at one point he was like, don't look at the door. It's not like, like a celebrity will walk out and like, and like, um, uh, uh, oh, frick, uh, Ethan, um, um, not Hunt. That's from uh, the Mission Impossible. <laughs> that, that's Tom Cruise. That's from, Tom Cruise. Uh, uh, Ethan Ethan Hawke, like poked his head out from the door with like a mask on and was like, "Oh!" And then, like, he went back in. So he, so Ethan Hawke was with him. <laughs> and then, but now, uh, but now, like uh, he's moved his production to uh, his in laws' place, and he made a whole thing about how he looked. He walked through his door in the in the attic and walked through a fireplace. His in-laws, and now there's a um, a picture, a painting of an old sea captain that's behind him that is now talking to him. It is amazing. Like it is so much fun. I'll have to check that out. It's yeah, so I, uh, it's so good. I, I I will occasionally it'll it'll be recommended to me in my YouTube feed, and I'll, I'll oh, you check out. Yeah, but it's just him like bantering with this like painting of a sea captain. Now it's so great. <laughs> Yeah, I love Seth Meyers. He's also a comic book fan. He wrote a uh, Spider-Man story once. So I did not uh, know that. So blow my yeah. mind. Yes. All right. So this next one here is uh, a reboot of The Fall Guy, except it was going to be called The Fall Girl. So The Fall Girl took place 30 years after The Fall Guy ended, and the reboot was going to focus on Colt Seaver's daughter, Mag Seavers. Short for Magnum, Mags follows in her father's footsteps and has a successful stunt career. However, when a stunt goes wrong on the set uh, that she's been working on, she uncovers a nefarious plot by the studio to cash in on insurance policy to offset poor box office receipts. Her investigation brings in her father, a returning Lee Majors, to help her tackle the case. Future episodes were going to 
uh, see the two open their own detective agency slash stunt agents uh, throughout the series. Was that real or fake? I want to believe this is real because it sounds amazing. I made it up. It's fake. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to say I know that we covered Ash versus Evil Dead uh, uh, years ago when it aired. But boy, oh, boy, was it was it a joy to see Lee Majors as Bruce Campbell's dad. Yeah. But the Lee Majors <laughs> shows up in the Venture Brothers, too, like later Venture Brothers as well. And it's him and him with a relationship with the Sasquatch and like in like a uh, national park. It's amazing. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this next one here is the greatest American hero. The reboot was supposed to be about the main character being a 30 year old Indian American woman from Cleveland, Ohio, whose talents included drinking tequila, singing karaoke, and not much else. Hannah Simone of new girl fame was slated to star in the show. However, ABC declined to pick up the series. Is that real or fake? That sounds so specific. I want to say that was real. Yeah, it was real. I just thought the fact that it was supposed to be set in Cleveland, Ohio would have just thrown you off. So. Believe it or not, I'm singing in a bar and I'm drinking tequila straight. <laughs> yeah, I actually like I'm like, oh, that actress, she's really likable. She's really funny on that show. And I'm like, why wouldn't that have been a show that existed? That actually sounds like a decent reboot. Yeah, why not? That'd be fun. I know. Yeah. Alrighty, so the next one here, uh, this is a uh, one that I, and I've only ever seen them, obviously, re- reruns, as probably have you, since we were both not alive at the time the show, I believe, Says was you, aired. I mean, I fell in the fields of battle, so you don't know. Like, so you are around to watch the original Dragnet. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't <laughs> brag about it, but yeah. So, uh, Dragnet, besides the uh, Dan Aykroyd, Tom Hanks film. Uh, in the 80s, was also a uh, remake show. It was revived in 2003 by Law & Order creator Dick Wolf, and it starred Ed O'Neill as uh, um, oh god, I didn't write the character's name down. Detective Al Bundy, I know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, uh, of the guy's name, uh, who's the main Joe character. Friday. Yeah, in, uh, in uh, Dragnet. Uh, and Eva Longoria was his sidekick. Uh, the show only lasted one season. Was that real or fake? It's a hundred percent real. And I, I didn't realize that she was a sidekick. Yeah. Yeah. Did you watch it? No, I just was super excited that Ed O'Neill was back in TV and doing something different because I, I love him over with children. I love him in Dutch. Uh, we've talked about Dutch before. I, I've not seen any of modern family, uh, but I know she's part of that. I think that's funny that uh, she was with him earlier. So he's he's great in Modern Family. Um, Modern Family had episodes uh, like most you know shows that run ten years that you know uh, they vacillated between good and bad. But uh, uh, he he's always amazing on it. There's actually it was a meme that that popped up. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was a photo of him. Somehow I'm guessing props on films, just or TV shows always get recycled, but somebody had found a photo of him reading the newspaper on married with children and a photo of him reading the newspaper <laughs> on uh, modern family. And it was the same newspaper, like the photo, everything. And they're like, Oh, you know what? <laughs> the funny thing is, is when, you know, 
Al Bundy is still reading the same newspaper 30 years later or something like that. Well, I'm but sure was, that the modern family people like did that. And like, do you remember um, when they brought him in for, uh, I don't know, I think it was him for the Futurama with Leela where they found, um, what was his name? Al something where Leela found like supposedly uh, her uh, mate because she was a one-eyed alien. And yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think did, I think I they did. brought in from that, but I love that they end up doing the couch and the whole like thing. It was great. Well, it's funny too because uh, going back to the John Rutter thing, she was on Katie Segal was on Eight Simple Rules, which yeah. is the show that John Ritter was making when he passed away, and they did a season I think after he passed away with her in the lead, and one of her like former bows returns on the show, and it was Ed O'Neill. So okay. that's actually. While we're on the topic of revivals, I realize it's not the greatest show ever, but it's been kicked around that, like, they were going to do a show of, like, Married with Children, except it focuses on Bud's family, and then Peg and Ed would be the, the, the you know, or Peg and Al would be... Like, I would be a thousand, a million percent about, like, having uh, Bud and then having uh, Kelly show up sometimes and having... yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Alan Pegg show up. I, I like I, David Faustino has good comic timing. You know, it's just I, 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 I think that would be worth it. The boss. Why are we not getting that? No I kidding. Get. I think, I think, um, <laughs> I think FX is missing something. You know, bring bring um Glenn Howerton or um Charlie Day and Mac, his name. Uh, bring them in. Supervise uh, that. And Matt Caitlin, Blarney, I think his name yeah, is. Is that uh, right? Yeah, you're probably right. And Caitlin Olson, I think they would be the right people to usher in a new Married with Children. I think that'd be amazing. Yeah, I just, you know, I get it. Like, you know, they're 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 focusing more, I guess, on the family friendly, like branded revivals. But I just, I, I think those of us who watched Married with Children back when it ran, like have a, a love for that show and every once in a while I'll throw on crackle. Cause that seems to be where a lot of the reruns are. Um, and I'll be like, Oh, I could sit down and watch two hours of Ed Bundy oh. just being an asshole. <laughs> no, just again, my favorite, one of my favorite episodes. And, and I mean, we're already like, where are we at here in the episode length? But, uh, it was the one where, uh, it was during the season with Peg was pregnant. We, then we found out case Seagal had, um, had a stillbirth and it was really, really bad behind the scenes. And it was sad. Yeah. Um, but they didn't know the, that the seven, uh, where they had seven, they, the, the uh, later they brought, they brought, yeah, they brought the okay. kid in, but, yeah. uh, there was the one where Al, uh, found out that Kelly was a pool shark and, uh, went to go watch her play pool and he realized that she's really good. So he went and, uh, donated all his blood, all of his blood to various blood banks and he sits down and uh, Jefferson Darcy, um, oh, I forget the actor's name, but he sees Al sit down with like nine cotton swabs um, taped to his uh, forearms. He's like, Al, the human body only has eight pints of blood. He's like, the brain hides some. And he's just sitting there <laughs> like, just losing his mind because he has no blood. It was so great. I love that episode. Uh, the one that uh, uh, Kathy and I always talk about is uh, when uh, Kelly Bundy, uh, when Bud realizes that like new information will like remove old information from Kelly's brain. <laughs> it's a shot glass, and everything <laughs> yeah. just spills out. Yes, <laughs> we always reference that one like all the time. So I just I think in a world where we're getting all these other reboots, like it just it makes sense, and 
if you're somebody who watched Modern Family, like Ed O'Neill was a joy on that as well. So I more Ed O'Neill. Yes. More Katie Seagal. We yes. loved her as Leela on Futurama as well. So. There's a Married with Children two parter where their air conditioner goes out in their house, so they decide to buy a uh, German Nazi air conditioning thing called up uh, was, I, I just remember Al sets it up that says Der Blitzkrieg and it causes the power to fail <laughs> on the street. So, cause it fails, they end up just like hanging out in a grocery store and they become like the one millionth customer. And so the next episode is I'm doing like a supermarket sweep thing. I remember that. Episode. Those two parters are so dumb and terrible. And like, let, 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 let's just give credit where the credits do. The show is dumb and sexist is all get out. And that is not aged well, but like the class commentary is a, is a, it's, it's like, like levels of wealth that still holds true. Well, also, I mean, Ed O'Neill would do these disgusting things and make them funny. Like I, it's so dumb, but he would dig in his ear with like his car keys or whatever. And like, just being a slob sitting on his couch with his hand out his pants. And like, (laughs) you know, I remember and I still haven't seen the movie, but I just remember like there was a long run of the series that I felt like every episode he was just trying to watch Hondo on TV, which is a John Wayne Western. <laughs> yes. yeah. You're right. You're right. I've not seen the film either, but yeah, he was always about Hondo. You're right. All right. So, so yeah. What, what I, we got? What do we have next? We're we're oh gosh. Yeah. This sorry. Is, this, All right. So we've you got, got to apologize. Months. This is an equal uh, opportunity. Goddamn. Continue, please. I apologize. All right. So, uh, number eight. Uh, so who is in charge? This is going to be a reboot of Charles in charge. That was going to find spot. Scott, uh, Bayo's character, uh, Charles now has become a widower and has moved in with his adult son to help him manage his complex family. The reboot, however, ran into problems when Bayo's eccentric demands do the show before the pilot filmed. This was also complicated further when the returning actor Willie Ames decided to not participate in the show to focus on his work as the Christian superhero Bible man. Yes. Is that real? That's real. That's fake. I made that one. Oh. <laughs> Bible man is completely true. No, Bible man is real. And Scott Bale being a goddamn whack job is also real as well. So. <laughs> Those two things are real, but the, the show, unfortunately, was fake. Or fortunately, I should say. All righty. Uh, so the next one here is the next Brady Bunch. Uh, after the death of family patriarch Mark, Mike, Mark, Mike Brady, the kids move back home. Uh, closer to home to take care of their mom, Carol. The storylines were more dramatic and they included storylines such as Marsha battling a fen-fen addiction to stay in shape, uh, Bobby flirting with danger when he becomes an MMA fighter, and radio host Cindy becomes a family pariah when she hosts a shock jock Howard Stern style show. Was that a real reboot or false? What you're presenting to me is false, but there was a darker Brady Bunch uh, reboot. There was. It was called The Brady's, and uh, I I would never suggest this for the show, but uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies, and it's not because it's good, but it just I, I have to watch it every <laughs> Christmas. Uh, what spurred that dramatic Brady's uh, reimagining that that next show was they did a Christmas special in like 1988 or 1989 uh, called A Very Brady Christmas. And it's on Hulu. I watch it every year. 
So, so yeah, I heard about like them doing like the Brady's and yeah. So I appreciate <laughs> your flourish, but I know that what like a little bit more serious, and a little bit more dark and who'd have known, who'd have thought that the Brady's would have uh, predicted zoom meetings. Yeah. It never, uh, it never got uh, past, I think, uh, the first 13 episodes, but it did air. And we so. know Alice was a pill pusher. I was just going to throw it out there. You know, That would be amazing. Uh, and I will say that the uh, the 90s uh, uh, great Brady Bunch film uh, is still really funny. Uh, oh, I just watched it recently. It's still really good. I have not seen the first one in forever, but I remember the second one. The second one leaned into the ridiculousness of it. I love that Mike Brady, his uh, architecture designs was always the same house. Yeah, um, I love that. I love that Alice walked in the fridge at night. Like it was uh, Shelley Long and um, oh Gary uh, Cole. Yes, I need to watch both of those again. But that second film leaned into just the absurd, and I loved it. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Uh, I hadn't watched them in quite some time, and then about a year ago, uh, we we came upon it, and I was like, oh, this this was funny and uh, returned and rewatched it. I was like, wow, this is really holds oh, up really well. The older so. sister, that's not Marsha. What's her name? Um, Jan. Is Jan is the older sister or Marsha? No, Marsha. That's uh, uh, Ben Stiller's wife. wife. I hate to that's what I was going to mention. That way. Yeah. Yeah. No, she was the lead and she looked exactly like Marsha. It was crazy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I apologize for not knowing her name. And I well, her and for Greg her. just wanted to get it on. You know that, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> Greg, oddly enough, the the actor who played Greg was uh, also the voice of Spider Man in the '90s Spider Man cartoon. Oh shit! And many, yeah, my mind's blown. Oh god, I can't handle this. <laughs> Alrighty, so this last one, you got to tell me if it's true or false. Okay. This was uh, Douglas Hauser, MD. This was going to be uh, after uh, his successful return to TV with How I Met Your Mother. A new limited series is going to focus on what happens to the adult Doogie as he faces middle age. Plot lines are going to include uh, his former flame, Wanda, moving back home to pursue rekindling a relationship with Doogie after looking him up on Facebook. His best friend of 30 years, Vinny Del Pino. Uh, has become wildly more successful than Doogie had ever been in medicine. And Doogie is now a figurehead for the hospital he works in and rarely gets to practice medicine these days. Was that a real or fake reboot? Oh, God, I want that to be real, but I want to be like, it's Vincis, Vincent Del Pines. I want that to be, <laughs> that sounds fake. It sounds like it's a Scrubs wannabe. Yeah, it was fake, but uh, that was one that I made up. So, Oh, you and your ability to craft... A tale. That's amazing. So, no, it was fun. Um, all right. Um, yeah, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, listen, this is two parts. It's a long episode. Whatever. It is. Um, that's what we do here. That's what happens when we take two weeks off, right? So, next week, I mentioned this earlier, we're going to watch uh, the six hours. So, who knows how long this episode is going to be next week. Uh, 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 it's a, um, mini series documentary. Um, it's called The Last Ride. It is about The Undertaker, which if, you know, you guys don't know, uh, The Undertaker is an amazing wrestler. Um, we appreciate him, and he got old, and not so much, but we still appreciate him. So we want to watch this uh, uh, longer form presentation about his life and his works. We'll talk about that more next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. As I belch on the microphone, that's unprofessional. But again, free show. 
So, yeah, that's going to do it for this week. Steve, you want to chime in as I, I keep belching uncontrollably? This is terrible. <laughs> I will no longer uh, apologize for the length of our shows. I want to say uh, we give you more and it's free <laughs> to us. Yeah. I mean, you could do worse. <laughs> <laughs> Invasion of the podcast. You could do worse. So that's going to do it for this week. Hope you guys have a safe week. Have a good week. Wear a damn mask, uh, especially when you're looking at CBD oil. Uh, uh, you know, there's a free trial of WWE uh, Network if you want to watch the last ride. It's six. It's going to be six hours, but there's also a lot of fun stuff on there too. Multiple uh, pay per views, multiple wrestlings. Uh, let's just have fun. And the Undertaker is amazing, so we're going to talk about him next week. And I feel like he is he is one of the last people of an age gone by. So we'll talk more about that. We've talked we we've talked about Andre the Giant previously and and some other wrestling stuff. So. This will be this will be a good talk. Oh, Hogan, <laughs> Paul Bear, Undertaker, and I will see you next week.